Welcome to the first episode of Word of Influence. I am your host, Perry Morton, and today I got a special guest, Alex Sutton and Sean Waters. So, before the podcast started, I played some uh, Street Fighter with Alex, and yeah, this man's a beast. <laughs> That's what happens, Perry. <laughs> I mean, like, I only got two rounds. I felt good about those two rounds. I can leave it so much. <laughs> Well, anyways, today we're going to talk to Alex about, because I know you like to read, and like, if it wasn't for this man, I would not even be into One Piece still, so <laughs> thank God for Sean actually dating this guy, because it's amazing. So, I'm, we're going to ask Alex a few questions about what exactly he likes, so we're going to start with it. What's your favorite book, Alex? Uh, well, my favorite book or my favorite book series? Book series. <laughs> okay. My favorite book series is Will of Time, uh, Robert Jordan's Will of Time. Will of Time, yeah. Yeah, which you are currently reading. The first <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so uh, it's a 14-novel series. Uh, it started in the early 90s, and it ended uh, like five years ago, I want to say. And, yeah, it's, ph- it's phenomenal. Now, is there a comparison between a Will of Time and Game of Thrones? Yeah, there's quite a comparison. Uh, I mean, they both started around the same time. Uh, the first Will Time novel kind of predated the Song of Ice and Fire a little bit, which is really funny because they're <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, holding up the mic right now. So yeah, the uh, the first Will Time novel predated it just a little bit, and there's something there's a really interesting connection between the two because in the Will it's called the Dice Die Mar, which mm-hmm. is the game of houses, and it's very similar to in Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire what they call the Game of Thrones, and. Um, that book had come out after the, when they first mentioned Dice Diamar had come out after Game of Thrones had started but you could tell Jordan had been plotting this for so long he already knew about it and um, it's just really interesting but yeah Robert Jordan and uh, George R.R. Martin were friends they would, they would be seen at like conventions together they were two monoliths in their mm-hmm. jo- in their jobs at, in their heydays you know um, but story wise they couldn't be more different honestly um as far as like the characters and what happens to the characters, the amount of character deaths is very different. You know, Jordan didn't like to kill off his characters every book. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, as you can see, as a Game of Thrones kills off all its characters. Constantly, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like the Wheel of Time, there are a lot of characters that you know start the series and end the series. But there are character deaths, but it's not as much of a prevalent theme. In a song of, or as it is in the Song of Ice and Fire for the Wheel of Time. No, now does it have a thing? Do you have a thing for high fiction then? Because it's definitely more high fiction, right? I have a thing for high fantasy, definitely. Um, I, I love high fantasy; it's my favorite genre, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of them, but it's probably the one I read the most. Like right now, I'm getting into Brandon Sanderson, mm-hmm. who, whenever Robert Jordan, who I mentioned earlier, the guy who wrote the Wheel of Time, he passed away because he he got sick. Uh, they, his widow Harriet she picked someone to finish his series The Wheel of Time mm-hmm. and that was Brandon Sanderson so he came in and wrote the last three novels and I found him through that because you know of course I was reading The Wheel of Time and then I read a book by Brandon Sanderson called The Way of Kings and it was one of the best books I ever read like fantasy wise anything like just the story you know all the characters the way the plot is so so different from every other type of fan that car is going <laughs> yeah there's a car going off I'm sorry guys but do you want to read I get it out like you're on you sure what well, do you want to do that <laughs> it's all good bro don't worry okay <laughs> I can cut it out <laughs> but 
Huh? You said making it more awkward. Not really. I mean, <laughs> no. You can cut stuff out of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, you can cut it out. It doesn't no. have to be. Yeah. Well, but. <laughs> like I was saying, what was it saying? We were talking about Wheel of Time and Brandon Sanderson, Wave Kings. Okay, best book ever. called The Wave Kings. And it, like I was saying, it's one of the best books I've ever read. Um, <clears throat> the way it's plotted out, it's a high fantasy novel, but it's so much, so much more different than anything I've ever read in that genre. The main character is a slave. And, you know, he starts out in basically, you know, he's this amazing warrior and he's leading this battalion and then something terrible happens to him and he gets put in chains and then the rest of the novel he's, you know, living his life as a slave and trying to come back from that. And uh, that just really blew me away. So now I'm reading all of his novels and I'm really enjoying them. And, of course, I love Tolkien, you know. Yes. <laughs> I adore him and I like George Martin, not as much as the other guys I've mentioned so far, but... But yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy high fantasy. Well, would you say Tolkien set the bars for other ones to break? I mean, I don't know who you could say did other than him. <laughs> I mean, like, Tolkien is, like, to novels what... I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like, what Jimi Hendrix was to rock music, I guess. Like, yeah. Like or Michael Jackson to pop music. There you go. Like, <laughs> like he, he, he did... Like, there were all these things that existed before Tolkien, like Norse mythology and pagan myth and all this stuff, and, like, Tolkien just took all of it and combined it and made this really interesting world, and he was really, like, one of the first novelists to do something that, that we call now in the genre of world building, mm-hmm. you know, because he, like, literally wrote, you know, developed this whole backstory in the Silmarillion of, like, the creation of the Earth and, you know, what happened before Middle-earth existed, and then before Middle Earth on the planet Earth, you know, all this, this stuff, it's amazing. Yeah, the Silmarillion is a read, I'll tell you that much. Like, I mean, it's basically Christian myth with, like, all kinds of other mythology just thrown in there, and then you have, like, like the world was created out of music, and, like, these different entities who sing and breathe life with music, and, and then the Malkier, who, or, uh, who became Morgoth, uh, like sings to a different hum, and you know, personify. He's like the personification of like having his own ideology and stuff like that. Dude, there's some deep stuff. In the <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Now I know that you're not a fan of Lewis. Can you tell me why? <laughs> uh, personally, I'm not a fan of like. Uh, what's the nice way to say it? I guess. <laughs> Go ahead. Say I, I hate C.S. Lewis, and I don't hate the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a really good book. I, I enjoy it. It's a quick read. Really interesting characters. I don't care for Christian analogies, like drowning. Drowning, everything. yes. Like in like the whole thing with Aslan is like such a thing. Like it's <laughs> such a Christian allegory, yeah. and like, like I don't mind it. It's fine. But like later in the series, you know, some of the stuff that I've I know about. You know, I didn't read the other books. I just wasn't. You interested. didn't. No, I, I'm not. Oh, interested. he starts to kind of lay down. <laughs> really. I just, I'm not really a big fan. I know that, like, C.S. Lewis himself said that, like, he didn't do it as much in the Narnia series as he did his, his other his sci-fi series that he did, but, I don't know, just, it really turned me off. You know, like, Tolkien, you can draw allegory from his work, but he was, he hated allegory. Like, it was mm-hmm. one of his least favorite things in novels. He hated when people were allegory. And, and it's just crazy that those two were just the best of friends. You're like, I love allegory. Yeah. You don't love allegory. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> talking to him and tell him, hey, dude, calm down. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, well, in school, I had to write my paper over the Chronicles of Narnia, but I focused more on the children than I did the actual 
Aslan because like it's just Aslan's Jesus basically Honest, basically yeah. <laughs> so he dies for their sins yeah but my focus was to like you know what the children did how they interacted in Narnia and that's what I enjoyed about it because like Peter is probably one of my favorite heroic characters of all time yeah that's cool <laughs> I mean the whole you know idea of someone going into another world and being lost and making mistakes it's, I mean there's a lot of you know, myth or not myth, metaphor you can draw from that about like growing up and stuff like that. And it's a it's a wonderful story. I just I wish that one thing wasn't in it. You know? Yeah, because it's just it's, it's an annoying thing that doesn't really belong there. And this is just my opinion. I'm a lot of people love C.S. Lewis. Yeah, you know? and I I have nothing against those people. I just personally it didn't appeal to me in the same way that the story of Frodo or the story of Aragorn. You know or all these characters, you know, or even just, like, the backstory of, like, the Ishtari and the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, that stuff appeals to me heavily. Yeah, because, like, people will try to argue that Jesus is in three forms in, uh, in Lord of the Rings. He's in Gandalf, Frodo, and Aragorn. With the title, The Return of the King, they're like, really? Like, I mean, I could also tell you that Odin, you know, there's, like, like you could make a comparison for Odin Gandalf because, you know, Gandalf it wears gray and has a staff and wanders around. And I mean, you could you could make that comparison, too, but I really don't think that's what Tolkien intended. I think he just drew from a lot of things that inspired him and told his own story. I think you, you see less Christian myth in that series than you do industrialization and paganism a lot of pagan myth that he kind of created his own continuity for and and uh i, I know tolkien talked about that before about Frodo, and i i really just think the the moral with frodo is not so much that he was bearing anyone's sins so much as he was a very tiny part of a very large thing and he made the most difference you know what okay. i mean now you're as a musician or because i know you're in a group called chasing the pacific that's true <laughs> This is a fact. This is a fact. <laughs> not, not lying. Well, as a musician and me being a writer, how do you keep your life out of your work? I don't. It's very much in it all the time. I mean, even into your music? Oh, yeah. I mean, I am, I'm the primary lyricist for my band, so I write just about all of our lyrics. Uh, my, my friend and bandmate Josh has been writing a lot more with me lately, but even then, you know, he likes to give me ideas, and then we kind of hammer them out together and you know I kind of do the wordsmith stuff Josh is really a, the idea guy he likes to come up with ideas and then bounce them off me and then we'll sit and hammer them out together you know okay so that's what I was thinking because like with Token he writes a lot of articles how does he actually stay away from what you get what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. like how does he stay away from what he wrote mm-hmm. with his background and creating a world I don't think he did. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff, allegory you can, like, that's not necessarily religious that you can take away from his work. Like, you know, he fought, like, he didn't fight directly in World War One, but he was associated in it. You know, he was in the war. His friends died in the war, you know, and you think about World War One. you think about how bloody and nasty and just grimy it was and trench warfare and all that stuff, and you think about Mordor and just how nasty and grimy and just mm-hmm. terrible that place is supposed to be. There's a lot of, you know, comparison and metaphor you can draw to the era of World War One, you know, that can be applied to, you know, Tolkien's story. 
but I know for I know for a fact that there are there are definitely things inspired by Christianity, mm-hmm. like without a doubt. Like anybody that tells you different is lying. <laughs> yeah. But did Tolkien write the? Because there are things, like I said, there are things in that series like that tie directly to paganism, that tie directly to Norse mythology. You know, to all of these different things besides just Christian myth. You know what I mean? Like there's all kinds of stuff that tie ties in. So. But, yeah, I don't think Tolkien kept any of his personal details out, you know. Like, even some of the songs, like the elven songs that, like, elves wrote to their wives and stuff like that, Tolkien even said, like, directly he wrote it about his wife and then just put it into the story and, like, combined his own life story with the story of characters sparse throughout, you know. So, but he, he was more, like, he didn't like grandstanding. He didn't like taking a position. He didn't like, you know, saying other people were wrong or blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he liked, you know, being very poetic and very... Elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because, like, you don't, you, if he were to put allegory in it, it's just to hide it. You gotta look at the overall story. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Like, elves are easily, elves and Ishtari, like, Ishtari is what they call the wizards in the world, the elven in the (laughs) end time. They're very much allegory for, like, different degrees of things in heaven and Christian, you know, myth and stuff like that. But it also comes back to Norse myth and stuff like that. Like, because, you know, like, the degrees of heaven, you know, or the other realms and stuff, it's kind of the same situation, mm-hmm. you know. In the Silmar- Silmarillion, you know, people can go back and forth between the realm that the, so, basically the gods live in, and then, you know, the Middle Earth, they could go back and forth, and Sauron did that. He went back and forth, and he was a spy for Morgoth. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? And, like, he would tell them things and feed information to them. So. That is interesting. So, what is the lore of a will of time? Is it? I seems to be Asian. Mm, not so much. It's, is it not? Well, it's a it's a real big combination of a whole lot of things, and that's why it takes so much time to tell the story. And I'm not gonna lie. The reason it takes so long is because he kind of meanders a little bit mm-hmm. on a couple of books, but I like that because he's he likes to do character study, and I'm really fond of that. But anyway, the lore of the Wheel of Time has a lot to do with, there's definitely Christian myth in there, with the Dark One, or the, as they call him, Shaitan, which mm-hmm. is uh, drawn from an Arabic word for Satan, you know, and uh, they're very different characters. Like if like the Bible version of Satan and the dark not similar at all, you know it was like Satan in the Bible is a very personified being, whereas the Dark One in the Wheel of Time is more of like a force. He's like a force of nature. You know what I'm saying? And the basically the person who spun the wheel, the, their version of God, they call him the Almighty and stuff like that. Um, he basically just set everything into motion and turned away. You know, he does. he's not really concerned. So they, these are parallels to Christian ideology, but there's also this thing called the wheel. Like I said, he spun the wheel and then turned away. And the wheel is a direct reference to things like Hindu mythology, where, like, there's this cycle of reincarnation, you know, and every character is a character in the wheel. You know what I'm saying? Like, their soul, when they die, goes into the wheel, and eventually it's spun back out, and they become something else. So is that, like, Buddhism, kind of? Well, it's, there's aspects of Buddhism, for sure. Like, one of the main characters, um, he uh, has to practice meditation and stuff a lot, which is, you know, is very Asian, you know, ideology. And like I said, there's Hindu rebirth and, and death and cycles of life and all of that kind of stuff. 
but then you mix that with like a medieval kind of setting you know like a like an early 16th 17th century kind of situation you know you have lordships and castles and kingdoms and different areas all throughout the world you know like empires kingdoms you know all over the world getting resources and ports and all this kind of stuff so but yeah there's in even in the series there are different like religions all over the planet and each one of those religions draws from one in reality too um that's what draws me to any novel or anything is a different religions or different creatures because it's wondering like how do they interact with each other mm. it's kind of like a star trek kind of thing like mm-hmm. different characters how do they pertain to each other so well there's like there are these characters in the wheel of time called uh ogre mm-hmm. and um they they're basically like your average ogre from any series but in the wheel of time they're very elegant and they're kind of like a mixture of like tolkien's elves and what you think of when you think of, like, ogres. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're very... Like, they sing a lot, and they they sing, they sing to trees. And they're very, like, ceremonious with each other. You know, like, they... Whenever they sing to trees, like, they'll hold hands and stand around it, and they sing it back to life. And mm-hmm. songs of rejuvenation. Incredibly intelligent. Yeah, there's... Like, one of, one of the main characters in the book, his name is Loyal, and he reads constantly, keeps books in his jacket. And he's just this big, huge guy that Fluffy. keeps... Has a big jacket, and he keeps tiny little human books in it, and he reads them all the time. It's <laughs> very kind. He, he follows one of the main characters around, wanting to write down his story. And that's basically how he, you know, he's introduced and how he stays throughout the series. The things do change. Interesting. I wonder if uh, author of Pendragon got that from her. I'm not sure. Because that's just the, pretty much what that series is. It's just a journal entry writing to his best friend. So, I wonder if... Yeah. He... I mean, Loyal in the Wheel of Time, he, he gets introduced in the first book, and then he hangs around the whole series, pretty much. And um, that's basically what he's doing. He's writing a story. Because the second book in the Wheel of Time is called The Dragon Reborn. And the dragon is kind of like this mythic level character in the world time who like was this very Arthurian legend kind of character, you know, King Arthur with the sword. He has a cool sword and he does all this cool magic and, you know, there's all these famous stories told about him and basically he gets corrupted and he dies and eventually that character gets reborn and one of the characters in the world time is the dragon reborn. And <laughs> Spoiler. Like, like I said, the name of the second book is The Dragon Reborn. And um, that is basically like one of the cruxes of the story, is like this character learning to deal with the fact that he is this mythical character reincarnated. Hmm. And dealing with that in like his every facet every facet of his life. Because these people told these stories about the dragon and I guess what I didn't tell you <laughs> is that whenever he became corrupted and he died, the dragon, and this is all prologue stuff, you probably already know this. Okay, yeah. But for your listeners... <laughs> yeah, it's um, fine. <laughs> whenever he dies, he does this thing called breaking the world, and he uses this massive amount of power to basically just cause this enormous eruption, like a nuclear reaction, like times 12, and it affects the world so heavily that men can't even use magic anymore, because he taints it. He taints magic for them. And he changes the world. He literally, like, breaks a mountain in half. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And he brings this terrible time on the world, and all these people have to fix it. And so where the dragon was, like, this mythical, like, highly revered character, he becomes this very hated and very reviled 
you know, entity in that world. And you're talking about hundreds of years later, you know, if, if like a family gets a curse on them or something in a village, you know, they'll scrawl a dragon on the door to say like this family's curse, like the dragon. And basically this character in the little time has to deal with the fact that he's this heroic legendary figure reborn and mm-hmm. deal with the things he did, you know, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting. How do you feel about characters that, it's kind of like reincarnation, but they don't really know. Well, I have a really interesting One Piece theory for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We can get to that later. Though. Okay, yeah, that's the manga section. <laughs> uh, but I think it's cool. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I like it in the Wheel of Time probably the best. I, I can't really think of any other major examples of reincarnation off the top of my head. Reincarnation in them. I don't think I have either. But I really enjoy that in the real time. I think I think it really makes an interesting character dynamic. It kind of takes that like the first novel of the real time is very Lord of the Rings. It's very much like these young people. Even though Frodo wasn't very young when he left the Shire, yes. he was like fifty or in his late thirties. Yeah, it's different. For like, kids. but like you know, it, it these young kids leaving to go try and save the world because this person came to their village and told them they're important, and they're like, yeah, we gotta go do this because we're big time you know yeah. and then they find you yeah. know like there's a lot more going on here it will be speaking of token uh actually soldiers that were fighting the vietnam war had actually read lord of the rings they said like he predicted this like yeah. it's kind of weird well that's because that's because you know like even when truman left office you know when truman dropped dropped the bombs um he thought that he was dropping the bombs on a military base he didn't realize that he was dropping the bombs on city mm-hmm. with thousands of civilians in them. He didn't know that. You know, he, he because you, you have to think about the representation of, like, information in that time and how we process information now. Truman didn't know. Yeah, Truman did not know, and that's that's sad that he didn't realize it. When, they, when he found out they were going to drop a third bomb, he told him not to. Like, he canceled it. He was like, no, you can't do this. This is terrible. And when you le- when you read his or listen to his farewell address and how we can't allow the military to have access to these things because they're going to use it to make money. Yes. <laughs> and look what happened to Vietnam. We created a conflict to to have the country constantly be in a margin of profit. You know, I mean, and that sounds really conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> you're fine. Harry Truman himself said this, you know, to, to <laughs> yeah. the national public. So, but I think Tolkien kind of says the same thing, you know, the rings of power are kind of just like that, you know, they're these weapons of, um, I guess, like, domination. Domination, you know, yes. That he uses on other people, but for Sauron, it's like a weapon of mass destruction, amplified his power, like, times ten, and it allowed him to control everyone else, kind of like nuclear weapons, you know, it allows us to, especially, you know, from the 40s on, like, you know, we were the biggest dog in town, kind of like Sauron, you know, Sauron <laughs> was the biggest dog in town, so yeah, I mean... I think Tolkien kind of saw a lot of that coming. Okay, so last question about Lord of the Rings. Do you see the Silmarillion, the Hobbit, and Lord of the Rings trilogy as a a standalones, or do you see it as an entirety? Uh, (laughs) I guess I just kind of factor in everything. I consider them all the same story. I mean, they're written by the same guy, and they involve the same characters. So, I, I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't consider them the same thing the same entity they they are standalone most of them you know like tales of the Earth and children of Hurin and 
the song, a lot of this stuff was, you know, produced or not produced, released posthumously. You know, like he was dead <laughs> when they released the film early on. But like, you know, The Hobbit, he intended to be a kid's story. A kid's story, yeah. But then he realized, like, oh my god, I love this. I love building this world. I want to do something more. Yeah. And then he created The Lord of the Rings. You know. Okay. So I mean, I consider them all one thing. Okay, because some people will just look at it like, well, I've seen The Lord of the Rings, but I don't want to watch The Hobbit, even though it's the same exact world. And I was just wondering what you thought about that. Those people are missing out because The Hobbit, they took some of the Tolkien lore from Children of Hurin and the Silmarillion and infused that in the Hobbit movies. And I really love that. Like That was a big misconception when they were coming out because everyone was like, they took one book and drew it out to three movies. Yeah. They really combined two books. Yeah, like, like, the best parts of... Actually, three books because, like I said, there's Children of Hurin stuff in there. Yeah. There's Silmarillion stuff and, and there's the Hobbit. Gee, I've read, like, I saw The Desolation of Smog. Mm-hmm. And then I went to finish reading the actual book for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And said, why the hell did they drag this shit out? <laughs> I, I personally didn't mind it. Like, I, I anything anything that gives me more Tolkien, I'm, I'm fine with. Because, you know, anything that's going to make a story that's, you know, working on, you know, 100 years old, you know, 20 years from now. You know what I'm saying? Like... Okay with it giving me something new, you know. Yeah. What I mean? Like I can read that book anytime I want to. Mm-hmm. Like it's there on the shelf. Like it's not gonna. We don't have the movies. I just realized that. I have two of them. <laughs> oh, we do. Just missing the third one. Yeah. Oh, oh the third one. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I really love. I loved those movies. I, I mean, there's definitely things they could have done better. But at the same time, I think Tolkien probably would have extended that stuff if he hadn't known what he was going to do with Middle-earth. Well, seeing how he let his son to write the rest of the... So, yeah. like, most of it was already written. It's just that he went back and compiled things. You know, Christopher went back and chopped it up and made it look pretty. <laughs> yeah. You know. But still, though, that's some more work that could have been expanded upon. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he really wanted to. It just ran out of time. <laughs> like Robert Jordan, you know, Robert Jordan just ran out of time. Yeah. Like George R. R. Martin might run out of time. <laughs> run out of time. <laughs> It'll we'll be I hope he doesn't. I hope he finishes it. I really do. But at the same time, I mean look at all his peers. You know, Jordan died before he could Vulcan had so much more he wanted to do that he didn't do. I mean we'll yeah. have to see. You'll have to see. <laughs> July sixteenth. Anyway. Definitely <laughs> definitely check out the Will Time. Will Time is so good. It is I know I've talked a lot about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> But that's because if I had to name a second favorite book series, it would be Lord of the Rings, definitely. Oh, you're fine, you're fine. Um, um, but yeah. So, what? how does that influence you, uh, Will of Time, in your life? Oh, man. I identify with so many of those characters. Like, my favorite one is on my, I'm, uh, I'm wearing a Perrin Abara shirt. He's my favorite character from the series. Awesome. Um, he's a blacksmith who eventually, you know, takes on a leadership role and becomes very important into the series and uh, he can talk to wolves and stuff like that they call him wolf brother Um, Mm -hmm. and just the emotional weight of that character is really important to me and a lot of the things he goes through I identify in my life you know things like he's gone through I've gone through and uh, the biggest thing for parent is responsibility and I relate to that entirely so I guess I kind of apply some things that parent has gone through to my life you know in, in that sense and then just you know just like every any fictional series you get attached to you think about those characters you know when I first started reading The Wheel of Time you know I had to like me and this girl went back and forth for a long time and then we had ended our relationship and then I had quit the band I was in and just a lot of my friends I stopped talking to 
And I just went into this like media black. I stopped using Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these things. I started running two miles, at least two miles every day. And I would work and I'd come home and I'd read the wheel of time. And, you know, I had a couple friends I kept in contact with, but I really just went into a hole <laughs> and read books and just spent time on myself and meditated and did yoga and all this cool stuff. And uh, the characters in the wheel of time were like my friends. You know what I mean? Like they were like people to me. You know, this, this is a 14 book series. So there's so much to read. You spend so much time in these characters' heads. Like by the end of it, I felt like I knew them. I felt like they were actual people. Do you feel like I'm you're... only on the fourth book and I feel that way. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So do you feel like it's because you can actually see yourself within the world? Because like when I go into a book, it's like I am there mm-hmm. no matter what. <laughs> I mean, it's, pro- it's probably a little bit like that because Robert Jordan is so descriptive. And it's it's like, it's not in a bad way, like where Tolkien's like describing candlelight and wax and stuff like that. Jeez. Although it can be sometimes. <laughs> really? It can be sometimes. But really, like, you grow to appreciate the detail. Like, now, like, I when they just announced today, like, they announced it last year that The Will of Time was getting a TV adaptation. It's going While to... we were at Jordan. I just saw that today, actually, on IGN. Yeah. We went to a, 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 a Will of Time convention last year. I'd always wanted to go. This was the first year I could afford to last year. So she and I went down there to Atlanta to see the convention. It was such a good time. It was great. Uh, the author of uh, Way of Kings, I was telling you about earlier, Brandon Sanderson, the guy who finished the series, I met him, and he signed my books. It was really great. So, um, he's the nicest guy in the world. Seriously, nicest dude in the world. The darkest <laughs> moment I think I've ever seen you in was whenever he was on the elevator with us. We, uh, <laughs> so we got, <laughs> so like, so, cute. I, so I had finished Wheel of Time, you know, I have, it had been a while since I finished Wheel of Time, about a year and a half since I finished it, and I've been into it, I'm probably working on my five years now, I'm working on being into that series, because I had started reading it a a year and some change before we started dating. Yeah, and I think you found out about the last book on our first date. I, I had bought one of the books that, would, that, would, that I didn't have uh, a hardcover of on our first date. Yeah. So, because I was just buying paperbacks and I started collecting the hardcovers. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brandon Sanderson. So, um, so I finished those books and I was needing something else to read. So I, I was looking around and I got into two series. I got into Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, mm-hmm. which is this giant universe of books that he has that all tie into each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. So you know how the Silmarillion connects to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings? They're very loosely connected, you know what I mean? In the sense of, like, this takes place, like, thousands of years before The Hobbit, but, you know, the Rings of Power and there's Sauron, and, like, they connect this way. So Brandon's doing this thing called The Cosmere, where it's kind of like the Marvel Comics movies, where you have the Iron Man movie, and you have the Ant-Man movie, and Captain America, and the Hulk, but at the end, they all come together for one big movie, mm-hmm. you know? So, he has this, this uh, universe called the Cosmere, where there are these planets, maybe in the same galaxy, maybe in the same universe, where these stories are being told. There's one I'm reading right now called Mistborn, there's another one called the Stormlight Archive, and which is phenomenal, can't recommend it enough. And there's one called the Warbreaker Planet, and all these planets that there there are these entities, these godlike beings that go to each planet and they interact with these characters. So it's just this huge, connected, very complex. Right before we got it, went to Jordan Con, I read the two books in the Stormlight Archive, and I fell in love. Like I just, I my mind couldn't comprehend how a man could be so talented and craft a story like that. Mm-hmm. So. 
I'm already excited. I'm going to meet the guy. I'm going yeah. to sign my books. And I can't shut up about him. The whole trip there. I'm, you know, I'm telling my buddy. I'm like, man, you got to read these books. You got to read these books. So we get on the elevator to go up to our hotel room. And we're, there's the three other people in there. And who walks in the elevator with Brandon Sanders? <laughs> yeah. he, he walks into the elevator, and I just look over at Sean, and I'm like... His eyes were so big. He, he was just like... I, and I had no idea what the guy looked like. So Alex is just looking at me wild-eyed, and I'm like, what is... Are, are you okay? I'm just like, that's Brandon Sanderson. That is Brandon Sanderson right there. And I asked him if I could shake his hand, and he was like, yeah. He was like, you guys are the best boss in the world. And he was like, this is such a great job, and you, you guys make it worthwhile. I was like, man, it's an honor to me. It's fantastic. <laughs> I got out of the theater, and I, uh, the elevator, and I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe I just met Brandon Sanderson. That was the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, like just to meet your idol or something. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it was mind blowing. And I, I only have more respect for him now after reading <laughs> more of his books. You know. So. Okay. So I know you're a huge video game player. As I look around at your setup. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. so what's your favorite game as of right now? Um, my favorite video game of all time. Of all time. We'll start there. Um, is Bioshock Infinite. Really? Yes. Why? Uh, I wrote some stuff down in my notes. <laughs> Go ahead. Send me this question. Um, basically, like it's a relatively newer game. And I, so my friend Dalton is my best friend in the whole world. You know, we've been best friends since we were 11. Um, he, he recommended this game to me called Bioshock when we were in a video game store one day. And I was like, I'll pick it up. You know, I'll see what it's about. So I played it. And this is like probably like 2009 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I played it and I thought it was amazing. You know, it was like doing all these, saying all these things about, you know, Ayn Rand and objectivism and communism and forms of government. And I did not know games could be like that. At that time, I was like, this is so above what I usually play in terms of storytelling and subject matter, and it blew my mind. I was like, there's no way anything could ever be this good, and I loved it to death. And Don and I were obsessed with it for a long time, and so then a couple years after that, I want to say Bioshock came out in 2011, or 2000... Bioshock Infinite? Yeah. Was it 2010? 2010. 13. Was it 13? It was 2013. Dude, was, I have my timeline <laughs> off. Yeah, because yeah. it was after the store in the mall closed. Okay. Because I went to pick it up when I wasn't working at GameStop. I post... The, the only thing I know about that... Because that game is more of an entity to me. I've played it probably... Since you dated, you've beat it at least... Three. Three, three times. Wow. Yeah. I... It's one of those games, like, you know how people have, like, their rainy day movie or their rainy day book or whatever? That's my rainy day anything. Like, I... Like, if I'm having a crappy week... I'll just play that game. I, I love it so much. Like, you still want platinum it for me? I've platinumed it twice, and for those who don't play PlayStation, platinuming is like getting all the achievements. <laughs> Trophies. Yeah. I only platinum one game. Yeah. <laughs> so I platinumed it when it came out on PS3. I played it in one sitting, basically, and then I immediately started playing it again, because, um, and this is Bioshock Infinite, not the original Bioshock. Okay. Um, because it, it just... It was like nothing else. Like, I thought that nothing could be capitalized on after playing the first Bioshock, and then I played Bioshock Infinite, and I was like, oh my god. He did it again, and he did it better. Yeah. <laughs> and it blew my mind. So, I've listened to a lot of stuff that Kim Levine's talked about, about the game, and just all these different things about it, and how he developed it, and the inspiration he got for it, and then 
Spoilers. Have you played it? No. <laughs> don't plan on it. So you're going to Okay. Well, <laughs> don't plan on it. Oh, man. There's a reason behind it, but let's... I, I mean, finish. I hate first-person shooters, and I adore that game, so... I, I get sick playing first-person really? shooters. I do, too. Okay, so... At, at the end of Bioshock Infinite, it, there is a spoilers... <laughs> spoilers! For anyone who hasn't played this game... Spoilers! It's been out for almost five years. I, mean, I wouldn't be able years. to tell you that, because I... <laughs> yeah. But, like, um... That game ties into the original Bioshock in a mm. really interesting way. That like there are all these different universes, and it kind of does this string theory thing, where like each universe is kind of connected in a very like a like a very obtuse line. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And basically, there's this emphasis on lighthouses and doors to parallel universes. And the ending of Bioshock Infinite is one of the biggest like. Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead, bro. Mind fucks I have ever, like, and I was like, holy crap. Like, what even happened? And it's like, it's like when you watch a movie and you're, and you're, like, you leave the movie and you're like, I have no idea what the hell happened. You know what I mean? But it was amazing. It was amazing. I really loved it and I want to know. Yeah, that shit's crazy. That's what it was like. It was, it was like finishing a movie and I I put the controller down, I stood up and I remember just standing like this, like with my hand on my mouth and my hand on my hip and just like staring at the TV like. What the fuck did I just play? What? Uh, Why? I had tears streaming down my face because I was just like, this is so beautiful. Yeah. It's so good. So, should we go into full-blown spoiler mode? Oh, go ahead. Okay. So, so basically, the story is is you start out as this guy named Booker. And uh, you're on a boat. You're on a rowboat. And you're rowing up to this lighthouse. There's these two people. They look exactly the same. They look like twins. They're telling you, you have to go get this girl for us and bring her back here and we'll wipe away all your gambling debt, basically. Bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. Yeah, that's what they keep saying. Bring us the girl and we'll wipe away the debt and all this stuff. So he climbs up into this lighthouse and there's this rocket chair in it that literally sends you skyrocketing into, into the, you know, the sky. For lack skyrocketing. Of a, skyrocketing into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. And then you you kind of land in this chat thing, like you like a parachute comes out and then you float down and there's this city in the sky. It's and one of the most gorgeous like you, cinematic things in a video. You game land ever. in a dock and then it starts taking you down and it's like this big chapel. And it turns out there's this crazy guy who started his own colony. You know, apart from the United States, basically seceded from the United States, used this crazy physics that this uh, this girl named Lutess developed to basically make a city float in the air, high up in the sky. And you have to infiltrate the city to go and find this girl. So throughout the game, you start learning things about this world, how it's very cult-like. You know, people are, like, really obsessed with... You know, worshiping this person they call Father Comstock, the guy who made the seceded from the United States and stuff. <laughs> so you go through the game, you save the girl, and she keeps telling you she wants to go to Paris. You know, she wants to get away. She's and she's Comstock's daughter. Well, I was getting to that. Right. <laughs> this, she's locked in this giant tower, and you get to it. You get to it eventually, and you save her. There's this giant mechanical bird that attacks you, tries to get her back in the tower and all this stuff. Eventually, throughout the game, you realize some things about her because you think she's just this pretty girl that you have to save from a tower and who's missing you know, a pinky she's missing a pinky and you don't know why and you and you, you're trying to get her you know back to these people to wipe away your debt but you start to kind of grow attached to the character and you you know 
you don't really want to take her back. You don't really care about your debt by the end of the game. And eventually, through the course of the story, you realize that she's actually your daughter. Really? Yeah. And you are actually Father Comstock. You're really? actually this, the same person that's the villain in the game from another universe. So, basically, Father Comstock, the guy who seceded from the country and started a flying city, basically, Kenji that caused the city to fly... He'd exposed himself to it so much that he sterilized himself, and he couldn't have an heir for his giant sky-floating city empire. For being in this in an alternate universe, she has like crazy purse that, like, you know, no one, nobody else can do. She can open breaches to other universe and use universes and bring things in from them and giant weapons and stuff. So anyway, at the end of the game, you realize you are the villain. Oh wow! And that really is a mindfuck, though, dude. It's because you think you're a heroic character throughout the time. It kind of reminds me, spoilers, of Assassin's Creed Three. Oh really? Because <laughs> you think that you're working as an assassin at the beginning, you're working as a Templar. So it's like, oh wow, yeah, this know. is. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, well, no, I didn't play three. Oh. You didn't play? But three? I, I don't plan on playing three. So oh well, it doesn't bother me. Pre, what did you play four? Yeah. That's my favorite one, easily. Mine too, but like, his father actually was the Templar. Yeah, Kenway. Kenway was the Templar. Yeah, which is fantastic. <laughs> and like, I learned that through four, but I I didn't play three because like I've, I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast, but like, um, Dalton mm-hmm. played that game and he hated it. <laughs> really? So yeah. pretty much you guys based stuff off whatever you guys play. Yeah. I that's mean, cool. I been, like that. We've been friends for over half our lives, so usually if he doesn't like something, I probably don't like it either. You know, our tastes are so synced up like that, so. So is it, did he beat the game and then was like, I hate it? He got about halfway through and he was like, yeah, that sucks. He just said like the, I think he, he actually did beat the story, but like he got halfway through and he really started not liking it because he said like it's really slow with him. He said he really did not care for that. It's it's probably the slowest of all of them. Really? Yeah, and like I never played Unity. I played some of Unity, but it was just like I played Unity and I really liked it. You're one of the few. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. You haven't um, beat Syndicate yet. Yes. I haven't beat Syndicate. Yet. I love Syndicate. Syndicate. What I played it is fantastic. It's just that I was playing The Witcher when that game came out. That's the problem. <laughs> and I just I just can't. I couldn't do anything other than play The Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I wanted to do other stuff, but then I like man, but. I, Geralt's got to do this thing, and I can't. I just got to do that. So. <laughs> well, like I said, Cynic is good, but like when The Witcher drops, it's like no other games matter. Just kind of like with Breath of the Wild, no other game matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like you're talking about Horizon. Like I, I want to play Horizon, but it's just there's Persona. I can't. What am I supposed to do? Like, it's right there. I mean, Persona's great, but you know. Jeez, man, I feel like I've been ranting this whole time. Oh, no, you're good, man. We've been having fun. Wait, this is what it's about. Just to see someone someone else's perspective because I can't do this all by myself. So shoot, man! If you okay, if you want to if you want to <laughs> cut out me talking about Bioshock Infinite, you, you no, nah, it's part of it. So you're good, dude. I'm the the main thing I want to say and the important thing to say about Bioshock Infinite is that it is a game that changes and that leaves you wanting more after it's over. Now, how does that affect you in real life? So, one of the things... Does, like, it, uh, does it make you look at it different? Because you say it has some communist themes. Well, that was the first one. Okay. This game is more like... It's it's kind of got this almost church-like beginning. So, like, you, you remember I told you there's a city in the sky, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you show up, you know, you're walking through this very picturesque world. You know, like a Rockwell painting. 
there are all these people in their Sunday dresses, and there's a fair going on. Great. And kids are selling apples, and dude sells you a hot dog when you walk off this platform. And there's, uh, you can hear a barbershop quartet singing. Uh, is it God Only Knows? And off in the distance, and like if you explore, you can find them floating on this little dirigible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of the game. But yeah, it uh, it's very picturesque, and I listened to this thing about that Ken Levine was talking about about that part of the game, and he said he was having trouble. Ken Levine is the director and the writer of the Bioshock series. And I'm also friends with him on Facebook. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, they um, he was talking about how they were trying to figure out how to make the city look. And he said he was taking a run through his neighborhood one morning. And he was looking around at the suburb and all these really nice houses and just very picturesque, Rockwell-esque, you know, kind of neighborhood life, suburban life. And he was like, this is Columbia. Like, this is what the city would look like. So when you're walking through that at the beginning, like, that's what you, you're like, wow, this, perf- this world is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go through the game and you realize, like, there's so many awful things that happened to make this perfect. You know, and I feel like that can apply to anything like real life you know mm-hmm. like we were talking about Truman earlier and dropped those bombs <laughs> like it's messed up but like we have the life we have today because that ended the war you know what I mean like life yeah. would probably be really different if that didn't happen mm-hmm. so like it it affects me because it makes me look at things more meticulously it makes me think of like like even if something is incredibly beautiful and picturesque like there's always don't see that sometimes get rubbed away or you know swept under the carpet. You don't see that stuff, but it's there, you know. And and that's I think it's a philosophy you can apply to everyday life, you know. Just mm-hmm. question everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is always what it seems, you know. Yeah, it's not more conspiracy. It's more of like what else lies behind door number two. Yeah. Door number one looks perfect. Mm-hmm. What's number two look like? Yeah. And you just base it off. I get what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's. It's a really incredible game. I wish that you didn't get motion sickness or whatever it is, mm-hmm. from, because it like you I might know, not. I know I just spoiled the whole thing for you. Yeah, but like <laughs> even gameplay wise, like I, I just like playing it. Like I just think it's a really comfortable shooter. Um, there are really interesting power upgrades you can do. It's it's just a really great game. It's a really great game. And I might have to check it out. Is it for the PlayStation Four? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can actually get the Bioshock collection right now, and you get all three Bioshock games. And it's like I'm sure it's gone down in price now, but um, yeah, they're remastered visually. They look incredible on the PS4. So cool, cool, cool. Can't recommend it. <laughs> can't recommend it. That's cool. I had to check it out. Any recommendation from you is awesome. <laughs> I, I, I mean it. Everything has been great. Had to recommend it. Cause, uh, what can I say? <laughs> Now, what is your favorite comic book? Hmm. Comic book, not manga. There's a difference. Co- comic book is in like a character or specific run or character. 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 Favorite character is the Flash. The Flash. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I have a pretty extensive Flash collection. Um, my the run I've collected the most of is Jeff Johns' run on Jeff the Flash, Jones. which Jeff Johns is my dude. Um, I, I often joke about how he's my lord and savior. <laughs> um, and I really do that. But anyway, like he he started writing that book in 2004, and he wrote it for like four years. He wrote 264 to 225. Pretty sure those are the that's the number he wrote. And uh, I'm only missing 11 issues of that entire run. I've collected most of it. Spent a lot of money. Is it hard to find? Uh, some of it are, yeah, because he reinvented the uh, a character called Professor Zoom. 
commonly known as the reverse flash. And um, those issues are kind of hard to find. They're a little more pricey. He came back. They did another version of him called Zoom. And it, it's a really cool story. So, yeah, they're... Like, money-wise, how much is one? At one point, there's this three-issue story between Wally, who was the Flash... Wally West, who was the, my favorite comic book character of all time. Um, he was a Flash at that time. And his wife, Linda, who was pregnant at the time, and... Basically, Wally's trying to save her from the reverse Flash, who's trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. And it's a take on a classic Barry Allen storyline where, you know, reverse Flash is trying to kill his girlfriend, and eventually, you know, Barry stops him with, you know, capital punishment, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. But yeah, um, I have most of that run in The Flash. How much is it? I was saying, how much? How much is it? Yeah, how much? One book. I go in the weeds, period. Uh, So, (laughs) at one time, at one time, I want to say the issues like one ninety eight, one ninety seven, and one ninety nine. They were going for like ninety eight dollars. Good fucking god! All of them together in a lot. Yeah, they were pretty pretty pricey. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I have like over two hundred issues of Flash in my collection. I have all of Volume 3, I have all of Volume 4, and I have all of Volume 5. And the way comic book volumes are split up, split up, basically, like, every time there's a new number one in a series, that's a new volume. So, like, Volume 1 of The Flash was Jay Garrick in the 1940s, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then Volume 2 was Barry Allen, you know what I mean? Or Volume 2 was Wally West, but it's confusing to worry about it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but then, you know, 10, and that was Barry Allen again, so that's volume 3. Yeah. Then they started the new 52, which I'm sure you know a little bit about. Oh, yeah. And that's volume 4. <laughs> and now they just did the rebirth stuff, and it's volume 5. So I have, from volume 3 all the way to volume 5, I've collected. And I have a lot of volume 2. A lot of volume 2? Yeah. Which is Wally. He was the Flash of volume 2, which is my favorite. Now... What makes you like the DC Universe more than the Marvel Universe? Because this is a heated debate, as you know, going on in DC sucks, Marvel rocks. Okay. I guess that's just the movie theme yeah, right are, now. Those are fighting words right there. <laughs> well, as I wear a Superman shirt, even though you're my favorite character. That's actually the shirt you were wearing when I met you, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's the same exact <laughs> one. So, like, I know that people listening to this can't see it, but I have DC Comics stuff all over my yeah. apartment. Um, like, and I have like five to six boxes in this house full of DC comics like literally like I was saying I have a pretty extensive Flash collection like <laughs> um she just says it because she has a Wonder Woman issue <laughs> I have all of the new 52 run I'm proud of that I mean it's pretty cool but, but she's my favorite so. but yeah what was the question again <laughs> what, what? why DC <laughs> over Marvel is that what it is yes I don't care because they wrote comics well I guess I can't... I, like, I don't hate Marvel at all. I love the X-Men. I, I've been collecting X-Men action figures. Uh, I'm reading a lot of classic X-Men. Logan, man. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the best, <laughs> best X-Men movie by far. It's the best movie, yeah. Yeah. best movie I've seen all year, probably, was Logan. Yeah. I think. Okay. And we saw uh, La La <laughs> Yeah, we saw La La this year, so that's saying something. But I guess, to get back to your question, um, the thing I like about DC Comics the most is Legacy. There is so much legacy at, at that company. Like like I was saying to you earlier, Wally West is my favorite Flash. But there were two Flashes before Wally. There was Barry Allen, you know, the Flash before him, his mentor, you know. Then before Barry, there was Jay, you know, back in the 1940s. You know, he was fighting Nazis and stuff with the Justice Society of America. That's so cool to me. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and even like characters like Batman, you know, there's Dick Grayson, and then there's Jason Todd, and then there's Tim Drake, and then there's Damien, you know, all mm-hmm. these different Robins, and I just love that sense of legacy with those characters. And you can say that for a lot of characters in the DC universe, you know, the Green Arrow, you know, he he had a son, mm-hmm. you know, his son took up his mantle, you know, and then went back and forth, you know, like there there are so many things in that universe that are just fantastic and appealing to me because they always find ways to make their entire history count even if things are different or characters have changed or new writers are doing this like everything counts in some way in their continuity even though they rebooted in 2011 they're doing this story right now called uh, called Rebirth launched it last year in 2016 and it's tying all the other continuities together and it's phenomenal you know but if I'm being honest, like completely honest, the main reason I like DC more, besides all that stuff I just said, is that Batman's there, Superman's there, and The Flash is there. And those are my three favorite superheroes. So, The Flash especially. Um, Marvel's great, though. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if you could tell me what you like about Marvel that's not connected to movies, what would you say? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> I love Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man so much. He's such a cool character. Like, yeah. But I also love Wolverine. Like, Wolverine is such a cool character. You know, he's mm-hmm. such a cool concept for a character. Now, is it because also the theme of alienation that revolves in DC Comics? Because that seems to play heavy the more I thought about it. There's definitely a lot of parental complexes. I mean, definitely. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Barry Allen's mom is murdered. Batman's mom is murdered. Superman's family's die. His whole family dies. I'm just talking twice. about, like, just living the double life. I mean, that's in all superheroes, but, mm-hmm. like, they seem Especially to... Especially Spider-Man. Yeah. They seem to live it a lot more in DC than they do, let's say, Marvel. Well, it's, well, in Marvel, there's also the fact that a lot of it's more like... Th- their identities aren't hidden, I guess. Yeah. Much. They're like Iron Man like is... Iron Man is, is, is Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Steve Rogers Stark. is Steve Rogers. Yeah. You know, Captain yeah. America. Wolverine is Wolverine, you know. Um, yeah. I guess that has something to do with it. I mean, like, there's the entity of Batman. Like, Batman transcends time and age and, you know, boundaries of language. Like, everybody knows Batman worldwide. Know that character. You know, he is so powerful for some reason. Mm -hmm. And there's something about him that appeals to everyone. Like, literally everyone. Everyone's gone through something terrible before like, you don't have to lose your parents to be able to re- relate to that character. Yes. You know, like, that is something that is, like, incredibly endearing to him, to, about him, to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I've loved him. And maybe it's because he's gone through something tragic and that humanizes him. Maybe it's because he's just a man, even though he's got the, a godlike intelligence that no one ever seems to talk about. You know, and the same thing with Barry Allen. Like, Barry Allen always does the right thing. Always. Mm-hmm. That's the endearing quality about him. That's what makes me relate to him. You know? Yeah, he always does the right thing. Always does the right thing, even when it sucks. Like, even when it's a, it's a crappy situation, he does the right thing. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, because like, I thought maybe some people like the appeal of like just hidden, not really know who you are, because like, that seemed to be relevant in the latest Superman, like, or any Superman, isn't it? Just says his dad is like, don't show who you are. They're not ready for you. Well, that was more of just like that's actually pretty contentious with a lot of fans because that movie, that that scene where he doesn't save his dad, the tornado and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> like he, he definitely wants to hide who he is. 
and that is like a core tenet of Superman. Like he, he is the ultimate alien. You know, he is always the outsider, and that is why he's such a relatable character. Um, but <clears throat> the like him having a secret identity is more appealing to me because I love Golden Age comics, mm-hmm. and I love like the idea of just these really campy stories with Lois Lane and and Jimmy Olsen and Clark, you know, Clark disappearing to go get his lunch and then a giant robot attacks and then Superman shows up and (laughs) he comes back and Lois is like, where did you go? He's like, oh, I got stuck in the bathroom. (laughs) Like, I just love it. It's so funny and just unique and like... I don't know, oddly American to me, mm-hmm. you know. Because, like, you're the one that I know to defend, like, bro, this is Americana. You, you yeah. need to appreciate it. I remember, I remember, like, whenever I mean, we had this conversation about Superman, and you were like, you were so down on the character, and I was like, Perry, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, why? Like, like, even when she and I first started dating, she hated Superman. I did. I, I had the... She can stand it. Misconception yeah. that he was overpowered and just kind of cheesy and overdone, and I, I had no idea. And right now, <laughs> the Superman run they're doing is like it's my favorite, it's next just, to Wonder Woman. Like I adore it. It's just that like there's a lot of common misconceptions about about that character that are kind of driven by the '70s movies, mm-hmm. like that he's ridiculously powerful. And the only reason that really exists is because in that time. You know, in those movies, he was the only really superhero. Yeah, those are the only superheroes that we had during the time. Well, like, especially the movie. Like, all all the other movies you had were, like, terrible, like, TV movies or, like, really awful Captain America movies. Like, like, it was really terrible. The the first Captain America movie, I don't know, Mm -hmm. it was a motorcycle. I fell asleep. So bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like the shield is made of plastic and it's it's real bad. Yeah. But, like, they, they see him fly around the world in that movie and turn back time, which is ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's not really like that, you know? Yeah. In his Actually, own... it's one of my favorite Superman movies. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Hey, dude, I love the first two Superman movies. Dude. <laughs> I, I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that, like, that's what people think of when they think of that character. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, he's that powerful. But that's just because you don't have Darkseid in that movie. You know, you don't have the Green Lantern in that Doomsday. You know, any of those characters that, like, Superman constantly... You know, Mongol that he's constantly banging his head against. You know, mm-hmm. like no, I will say the reason why I kind of stopped liking Superman is because my best friend just tried to force me into Smallville. He bought I have oh, like yeah. most of the I have most of the seasons. Smallville's great, but he, he bought me most of the seasons. I'm, I'm like, no, I can't do this. I'll die on that cross, man. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it's a little much at times. That's my hill to die on. I don't care. Like, like, but you have to understand that, like, all I had at that point in my life, I was a huge Superman fan. All yeah. I had was the Christopher Reeve movies. Yeah. And the, the Avengers of Lois and Clark TV show, which yeah. I didn't really care for. I mean, because when I was a kid, I didn't care about lovey-dovey stuff. I just wanted to see Superman beat up the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, Smallville was cool for its time. I mean, of course you go back and watch anything about that time period, and you're like, oh my god, it's so cheesy. Yeah, it really does get cheesy for a second. And, like, that's when we just go, like... Yeah, I can't watch any more of this. But I do like uh, the guy that played Lex Luthor. He did an amazing Michael job. Rosenbaum. Yeah, yeah, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah, Michael Rosenbaum. He's also the, the voice of the Flash in the animated cartoons. Is he? Yeah. He does a lot of voice work. Yeah. Oh, wow. I Specifically the Flash, though. He, he's been like, in almost every major animated thing or video game thing. He's been the Flash. So. That's awesome. Now, this is an argument that even my friends, what is the problem with people not liking Henry Cowhill as Superman? I think it's that they don't like the movies that Henry Cavill yeah. 
and I mean, because they grew up with Tom Welling, that they think that he should be Superman. Absolutely not. No, that's got nothing to do with it. It's just, well, my best it's, friend thinks that that's the reason why, because he says Tom Welling should have been Superman. No way. No way. The reason the reason people don't like Henry Cavill is because there's this general there's this general feeling about the movies he's been in, which I share. That they've been subpar in some ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not his fault. I think he's a fantastic Superman. I think he's really great. Like he nails it. But it's just like you can only do so much when you have a terrible script to read. You know, you, you can only do so much whenever the movies you're in aren't good. So, how did you feel about Man of Steel? I don't like it. You didn't like Man of Steel? I think you've changed your tune. I really have. I mean, there was a time when, I, like, like I said, I'm a huge DC Comics fan, and there's a lot of stuff about. Man of Steel I really really like and I think is really great but there are other things much more glam things <laughs> yeah. in the movie that I can't forgive I just and I feel like it's just like it's there for shock factor of course I'm talking about the death of Zod yeah. in the first movie like the fact that Superman snaps his neck in the movie I think is just utterly ridiculous and stupid and pointless and yeah. just it's like look what we made your American Idol do you know what I yeah. mean like this American icon we had kill this character can you believe it? DC do different than Marvel they have Superman kill people isn't that fantastic the golden age grandfather of all superheroes murdering someone. Isn't that fantastic? Like, well, people argue that DC doesn't like to murder their victims. That's why some one of my friends doesn't like Batman because he let the Joker get away every time. He just puts okay. him in jail. Do you know why that happens? Do you what? know what you can tell your friend? That, <laughs> that Batman is a comic book character. Yeah. And the reason they don't kill comic book villains is so they bring them back and sell more comic books. Exactly. So it's yeah. not... We can't keep laying these genre-specific expectations on mediums that were never meant to operate yeah. like a f- fucking Spielberg movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like the, like the jo- of course the Joker comes back. Why would... He's the Joker. He's you know? the Joker. And there's apparently three of them. He will always come back. Always. And that's just who that character... In the same way that if... if that Steve Rogers is a Nazi right now in Marvel Comics. That is a real thing. You ask me why I don't like Marvel Comics as much as DC Comics. No, I'm just kidding. Like, it's a really good story, but like, it, but at the same time, that alienates people. You know, but I guarantee he's going to come back at some point and be the true Captain America. You think so? Because they're going to they're want to sell that to you, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's how they make money, and that's what it is. It's a business. Yeah. So, of course Batman doesn't kill a joke. Why would he? Yeah. So if you didn't like Man of Steel, what do you think of that uh, DC to the Justice League movie? Batman mm. vs Superman. You were you were heavy good on it. I yeah. was, yeah, <laughs> I was. But see, like I said, like I said, like Man of Steel I, for a long time, I, I thought it was so good, you know, and that's because I just I wanted it to be good because <laughs> because I love the Marvel movies. I think they're amazing. They are so... Everything about them is good. Like Marvel? Yes. yes. Even yes. the new Thor trailer is fantastic. Oh God, yes. When I read comics, I primarily buy DC comics and I buy independent comics. I read some Marvel comics. Like, I read the X-Men and I keep up with Spider-Man digitally and stuff. But, like, I, my universe is the DC universe. So, in some way, whenever Man of Steel came out, I feel like I had to be the defense 
Like, like, yeah. no, this is my universe. You yeah. don't understand. I, I remember you saying, like, well, once the Justice League starts, Marvel can go away. I yeah, well, I hadn't seen BBS at that point, I don't think. Like, it's just, it's just, there was this transitionary period where, like, I saw BBS and I was so high on it because there are all these little things that I love in the movie. But then there are some things I really don't like about the movie. Like, the fact that Batman kills people bugs me. That bugs you? Like, in my fundamental what? being, it bothers Batman, me. Batman doesn't kill, Batman hates guns. And it, like, it just, like, in the, and we can all talk, my favorite Batman movie is the 1989 Michael Keaton Batman. Michael Keaton, yes. Yeah, like, now you're talking Batman. <laughs> and then you, then you can, like, people bring up, when I tell them that, they bring up, well, there's the guns on the bat plane. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, he wasn't shooting at people, and like, like, it's not the same. He's shooting a bow. And, like, like I get it. Like, but it's on the plane. You know what I'm saying? It's not like he's literally shooting people with their weapons and tying cars to the back of the Batmobile and throwing them into trailers. And it, I, I'm just not into it, dude. But, but then there are moments whenever Bruce Wayne sits down at the back computer and he... Back computer. computer. Back computer. Computer. Yeah, when Bruce Wayne sits down at the computer, he looks over to Alfred and he says, we've always been criminals, Alfred. And it hits me in my fanboy hearts of hearts because that's a line straight out of The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's perfect. You know, whenever the Flash comes back in time to warn Batman, that's a direct reference to the crisis, the mm-hmm. original crisis in 1985. And that's amazing. I jumped out of my seat when that happened. I couldn't believe it. But Martha is the dumbest comic book twist of all time. Yes. It does make sense, but it is a It doesn't make stupid. sense. Well, it's it's it, awful. It's and awful. I and I tried to make it make sense to myself for <laughs> really? so long. And then one day I was in a store with my friend and this was about two and a half months after I saw the movie. And I was talking to him. And I talked about one thing I didn't like about the movie. And I was like, John, my friend John, I was like, I th- I don't think I like BVS. And he was like, he's like, I never liked it. Oh, really? And I was like, I was like, John, like, I thought I loved that movie. And he was like, he was like, sometimes you just gotta be honest. I was like, I don't, I think I don't like it. Oh, yeah. I actually, when I watched that movie, I expected more action, I guess, between, like, the Batman versus Superman, and that kind of was a lead-off. I understand it had to build up, but, yeah. like, something you... Look into the story, I'm like, people didn't like Jesse Eisenberg's uh, Lex Luthor, I'm like... Well, I thought he was good. I thought he was fine. Yeah. I thought Wonder he was Woman fine. Wonder Woman was the best part of that movie. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody says that. Like, Wonder Woman was the best part of the movie. And I'll be honest with y'all. Like, if this Wonder Woman movie's not good, I might it, not. I, I you, probably you, won't you watch the Justice League movie. The best thing about the Wonder Woman movie is the fact that Jeff Johns co-wrote it. And Jeff Johns, like I said, he's like the Lord and Savior. So, like... <laughs> I think I think that um, I think that movie's gonna be good specifically just because he's attached to it. And it looks amazing. Also, I just realized that Wonder Woman could not know what to do with myself. Okay, <laughs> check in. It's like the day was made check for me. <laughs> okay, moving on. What's your favorite manga? I know the answer, but <laughs> uh, well, maybe I. This is a really hard question for me because. Um, I love One Piece. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> I love it to the very core of my being. Um, I could probably say it is my favorite out of all of them, but... That's a tough one and one right there, isn't it? <laughs> there's this thing that has recently become a giant factor in my life, uh, creatively, called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And I've read 
<clears throat> literally all but 30 chapters and there are there's over a thousand chapters in eight parts and um i i literally just read the whole thing over the past two years basically and just the imagination that Hirohiko Araki has is just so unparalleled interesting and complex his mind is and, and like <laughs> there's so many just absolutely just ridiculously dumb things that happen and it makes me so happy but One Piece means so much <laughs> to me I mean what you don't what people don't understand about me is I've been like I tell them I'm into manga and anime and stuff and they're like they're like oh what's your favorite I'm like oh One Piece for sure and they're like it's not like 780 something chapters long. I was like, yeah, but you don't understand. It's like everything is amazing. Like, it's it's 700. And, I think it's like 816 now. 816. Yeah, I think that's how many chapters there are. It's it's like it's like 800 of the best thing you ever read in your whole life. You know, like. But have you read any JoJo's before? I haven't read any JoJo's. I've seen a couple of anime. It's because it was on TV. I was like, oh, this is different and interesting. But, like, I know the song that they play is, like, called Roundabout. And I've never heard that song. It's a Yes song. Yes. It's an old prog rock song. <laughs> yes. It's, I, I love that song now. It's pretty great. Like, But is it bizarre? Like they say it is? Like... Shut on, stop. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think 863. 863. Oh, wow. Gosh. I was way wrong. <laughs> it I, feels like 816 because you're just reading it. It really does. Like, <laughs> I like I don't even really pay attention to the chapter number anymore. I just... I read it on my subs- Shonen Jump subscription every month, every week. So, so, yeah, the chapter's not so much a thing to me anymore. Also, there's been so many at this point. Like, I just, there's really no point. <laughs> there's no point. I think it's past Dragon Ball, right? Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like, past Dragon Ball. By a long I'm shot. Shot. <laughs> Yeah, like, there's... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Dragon Ball ran for, I think, 11 years. <laughs> One Piece has already passed that. <laughs> pretty heavily. <laughs> yeah. I mean... But, yeah, I, I guess I'd have... Like, at this point in time, I'd have to say that it's split between JoJo's and One Piece. One Piece is definitely... Higher on the scale for me, of course, but like I was saying, the one thing that people don't understand about me in that series, I'm reading it literally half my life. Like, I started reading it around the age of 12, and I haven't stopped. I'm, I turned 24 this year. So, like, literally half my life, I've been reading One Piece, and it, the, how much the characters mean to me is immeasurable. Like, it's just, I can't quantify. But when, when, it, in terms of things of like that have had a profound impact on me creatively recently, JoJo's is totally unparalleled. Like, it is just so fantastic. And like I said earlier, if it wasn't for you and another friend who actually got me into the series, I don't think I would actually enjoy it as much as you guys do. One Piece. One Piece is like it. I felt like it was a long stretch to get catch up, but like when I did, I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) It's so worth it. Like every second. I don't know. Those characters are different. Compared to anything I've ever seen, they're so dynamic, and there it's just every single character is so different from the other. It's so cool. I just can't talk about it. I get so excited. Yes, yeah, I mean, like as so, you were, I'm so attached I, to them at this point. As you were a one piece straw hat. What? You keep hitting the tail. Oh, <laughs> You're good. First run, but yeah. um... You said you had a theory. What's your theory? Okay, so we were talking at how 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 behind are you on one piece? How far? About like two weeks or so. Two weeks or two oh, chapters. Oh, you're ahead of me. I'm behind yeah, about two, two weeks. Maybe. Okay, so my theory about one piece. 
This is gonna get crazy. Is this the one you told me about last week or two weeks ago? No. Oh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, basically, just shut up and listen. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so like the the uh, the theory I have about One Piece is, so you know how Ace died, right? Yes. Spoilers. Spoilers. Jesus. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't read it. Give me a break. It's like 10 years old. 10 plus years. I don't even care. only thing that pissed me off is... Fight like, me, internet. <laughs> fight me. The only thing that pissed me off about that series, like, like I was really catching up. You know, suddenly so somebody told me that there was a fourth gear. I was like, why the fuck did you tell me that? That pisses me off. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even in it yet. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. The fourth gear is great, though. Yes. What you were saying? Uh... Okay, so Ace, this is this really goes in the weeds, this theory. But it's, <laughs> okay, okay, so so Roger submits himself to the to the uh, world government after finding the One Piece or his treasure. You know what I'm saying? And all these theories about how the One Piece isn't actually treasure; it's a bunch of weapons. You know that were used by this ancient society um, in the Void Century. You know, we don't know what for, because the series, Oda said he's at like 60-something percent, like we're a little over halfway through, like we still got a while. But there are all these weapons like Pluton, and uh, I forget what the one in Skypea was, and all these different polyglyphs that they're finding, learning about the Void Century, and that's why Robin, that's like her mission in life, is learning. I, I like how he didn't touch on it, he just put it right there, and then yeah. just left it for later. He's been sprinkling it since the beginning, like he's been leaving little tidbits of it ever since, like... Like, we all know that, well, we don't know, but we assume that the One Piece is, is basically, like, a misleading thing. The One Piece is basically, like, a search for information on the Void Century, you know. And which I think he got that from the the actual pirate, Captain Kidd, mm-hmm. who actually said... Said the treasure and yes. go find it and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, he totally did, and he's admitted to that, for sure. And Alvira? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, she's based on an actual pirate, a privateer from that time period to, like... I don't think she had smooth, smooth skin, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like... But, so, my theory is... My theory is that... Oh, yeah, Alvita is her name. Um, my theory is that... So, Roger, like I said, was... He gathered all this information about the Void Century. And he knew all these different things, you know, about uh, the Pony Glyphs and he, all these things he hid. Roger got sick, Right? And that's why he hid, gave himself over to the world government to be executed. But why would he do that? You know what I mean? Why would he give himself up to the world government? Do you have anything? Like, what do you think? What I would think, I feel like he just did it on purpose. I've, I think I've actually came to the conclusion in, like, playing a video game. Like, I think Gold Roger just decided he was done being a pirate. But See, what I think is that Roger got ill, right? And he gave himself over because he knew he was going to die. He knew that he was sick, and he wasn't going to be able to continue being who he was. So whenever he died, I think, and this is just, like I said, it's a bad shit crazy stupid <laughs> theory, but I think that the straw hat is a metaphor for the spirit of Roger being reincarnated as Luffy. How the hell is that possible? Because when he's not even blood-related, is he? No, then, well, well apparently, I, not, apparently not. But if okay, the interesting thing is if you you know the We Go anime opening. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a scene where in, in whenever Rayleigh talks about Roger in the manga, you see like a, cha- a panel of him and he's smiling, wearing the hat, and he looks exactly like Luffy. He's wearing not a straw in hat. Case he looks like Luffy. Hmm. So like one thing like she and I have talked about in the past is that like 
I think it's a little strange. That he has that same head? No, or... that he, like, he looks so much like Luke. And all the renderings we've seen of him as a young man, and that the hat found... I think it's strange that Shanks would get the hat of the Pirate King, and instead of keeping it for himself, give it to a little boy he barely knows. Why would he do that? Unless maybe Roger tipped him off to it. Mm-hmm. Hey, you've been, I need you to go to this area at this time because there's going to be someone here that's probably going to look a lot like me and I want to give this hat back to him because, I don't know, maybe it's actually him. Maybe Shanks knew that about Roger because he was on his ship. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, it's crazy and I don't have a whole lot to back it up, but... but I just think that, like, why else would Roger give himself over? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take anything away from Luffy because Luffy's still Luffy. He's just a reincarnated version of the original Pirate King. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, Roger, maybe he used Century to be able to recreate himself or something like that. You know, because there's a lot of crazy technology that we've seen from that Century and stuff like that. Or maybe that's his devil. Or maybe that's Roger's devil fruit power. We don't even know if he was a devil fruit user, dude. I'm I, sure he was. I I'm think, sure that's I think we do. Reveal. I think we do know he was a devil Didn't fruit. Didn't they say something about like his something voice that he can use? Well, that's hockey. And also for oh, you listeners, uh, devil fruit users are the ones that have special powers, but unfortunately they lose their ability to swim. Yeah, or, or be around water. Or be around water. Yeah. Which is always fascinating because <laughs> I've always wondered how they hydrated. Yeah. Like, how do they stay alive? I, I think it's just salt water. I get, maybe I don't know. Like sea salt. But, but yeah, that's my that's my theory. I think I think Luffy might be Roger reincarnated. I think Luffy literally is like Roger's soul. Mm-hmm. now. My theme for One Piece because I think it is the theme is a to follow your dreams. Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Is it to follow your dreams? I remember yeah. you telling me. It's I think it's more about friendship than anything. But that's just me. Yes, because because Luffy will go to the ends of the earth for any of his crewmates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so who's your favorite crewmate? Excluding <laughs> Put you on the spot. Luffy. Right? Excluding Luffy. Every time, like, I do, like, who's your favorite besides the main character? I don't know what he's going to say. I mean, it's definitely Zoro. Zoro? But it's really hard because I remember the first. I was just talking to Thomas, my roommate, about this the other night. Uh, I was talking about the first thing I ever read in One Piece ever. Do you remember what the first thing you read in One Piece was? The first thing I read in One Piece was Skypiea arc. The Skypiea? Yeah. So for me, the first thing I ever read, like I told you before, I was like 12, or I was about to turn 12, and I got an issue of Shonen Jump, and it, was, it had Goku on the front of it, and it was blue, and it had Yu-Gi-Oh, like cards in it, and I begged my grandma bought it. And I took it home, and there was the first chapter of Naruto I ever read was in there. And, you know, I was flipping through it, and everything looked all anime and cool and Dragon Ball-y. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, here's Yu-Gi-Oh! And, what is this Naruto thing? This is really cool. This action. And then I got the One Piece, because, you know, they were organized by chapter. And you get four chapters of everything. And I got the One Piece. And I was like, what the hell is this? It looks nothing like all these other series. It looks like a Disney cartoon. <laughs> yes, it does. It's goofy. Like, yeah. And Dos Lamingo. Oh, my God. I love Dos Lamingo. <laughs> but, like, so, like, I, the first chapter I ever read was the chapter where Usopp puts all the oil down the hill to slick it for Captain Kuro's pirates. And then, 
literally the, the first thing I ever read was this happening, them putting the oil down, and Usopp being like, oh my god, I'm glad we did that, you know, they're never going to get up here now. And then they realize they did the wrong hill. Yeah. And they're like, oh my god, we have to get to the other one, because that's where they're going to be. So then, like, they're all trying to get to that place, and then some of them fall down, and Zoro falls all the way down. And he's got to get there, you know what I mean? And then the Captain Kuro arc happens, and they're trying to kill the girl and get the fortune. And I was just like, this is so amazing. It's like nothing ever (laughs) ever read or anything. And so I'm extremely attached to Usopp because of that. Usopp, yeah. Because he was one of the first characters I ever read in the series. Um, And also I just think he's one of the most relatable because he doesn't have powers. You know, he's just in... He's not he like freaks out. he's not like cool like Batman where he's like superhuman mm-hmm. like like. So does that draw you to Nami as well? <sighs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm drawn to all of them for yeah. different reasons. But like like Nami, kind of. But like I like Nami for other reasons. Like I <laughs> not just her assets. Like I, I like Nami because I think she's a very well rounded character, and I, I her character arc is probably my favorite arc in the whole series, uh, the Arlong Park arc for people who don't know. And um, I just think that she she's very interesting. She doesn't let anything phase her, you know. But yeah, Usopp, I like him just because he every time something cool happens, he freaks out. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, and he he is the most human of all of all the characters. Like, you know, very impressionable, very you know, willing to be led, and sometimes not willing to be led. Yeah. And because um, I know you'll you'll defend One Piece to the earth. Because <laughs> I remember that one time where one that girl said. Uh, one piece is oh. trash. <laughs> like that's that yeah, was like fighting works for both. Slayers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really don't talk about it. We're not talking about it. Right, <laughs> talking about it. It's too chauvinistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my God. Exactly. But, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus publicly or anything. But yeah, yeah chauvinistic a little bit. We won't talk about that. But um, yeah, um, you'll defend this to end of earth, and like I try to get people to read it. One of my best friends is actually watching the show now he actually mm-hmm. warrior but my warriors is a good game it's great <laughs> i can't complain about it i have it. the hardcover case over there on the shelf <laughs> oh yes that hardcover like this man has like every volume like i don't have any of all volumes i think are we missing one missing the newest one i haven't bought it yet but yeah i'm, I'm i basically own every volume. <laughs> every volume i own up to 80 and there's 81 out right now <laughs> 81, so, oh so, yeah. my gosh 90 some like that's a lot <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it sure is. And it's still going. So I mean, like it'll be over one day. It'll be over one day, but it'll probably be over when we get that Kingdom Hearts three. Yeah, no. probably the same day One Piece ends. Kingdom Hearts like, comes out. Yeah. I feel like we will have children that will be able to read before One Piece is over. We'll see. Now, yeah. now there's a question that I do want to ask you. For women that aren't into video games, mm. how are you different? What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, like, not just you, but, like, probably back me up with this, but it's hard to find a lady that likes to play video games as well. It isn't that hard. Um, I mean, or, like, appreciate your nerdy side, if that makes sense. Hmm. I guess, you know, I guess, yeah. Because I, I remember you posting something, like, it's really an honor to have someone to appreciate my nerdiness. Yeah. And, like, I know people that are gamers and, like, women don't like games for some mm-hmm. odd reason and it doesn't make sense because it takes away from their yeah but they don't sit on their phones for hours like I do like she does yeah mm-hmm. I I used to be more of a gamer but it's less so now because he has so many series that he's really into and he'll 
pick up like a triple A game that he just really wants to play and instead of playing things on my own now I more watch him play but I still have my series like I'm super pumped that Tekken 7 is coming out we're gonna play Injustice 2 together um Project Diva games I still play just about every day no, you like those, huh? I love those games. They're so great. <laughs> they're, good. Uh, they're great games. Gosh, I, I play, like, handhelds. Like, I still... I haven't played it in a while, but I've put probably over 200 hours into Animal Crossing. That's, um, like, the game she plays is Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. I, I adore it. You're more of a handheld kind of girl. Right? I, I'm not, though. Or, or at least I wasn't. I, didn't know, <laughs> I am not. I, didn't I am have, nodding, yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yes. have a handheld system until I was... Yeah, I didn't have a Nintendo system isn't until that, I was like Isn't 20. that a strange thing for you to hear as a person like who grew up playing video games? Like, When, when did you get your first handheld? Handheld Game Boy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Game like, Boy was the first my one. My first system was a PlayStation 1 and I was in the second grade and I got it for Christmas. My, my first system was a Super Nintendo and like... The thing that immediately followed that was I got a Game Boy at a garage sale. Game Boy, yes. And I played Pokemon Yellow on that thing until the brakes fell off. I actually, I actually so held jealous. that in my hand the other day. I was like, this feels like a kid again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember playing the Donkey Kong Land games on the Game Boy. And they're just like these crappy black and white pixelated versions of Donkey Kong. And thinking it was the greatest thing ever in the world. So you can only imagine, you know, 10, 11, 12 years later, you know, you get a PSP. You get a Vita, you get a 3DS, like... Switch. The Switch. Switch. Yeah, oh which is the ultimate. <laughs> the ultimate right now. Ultimate now, random. we are, like, if you were to go to a fan base, or, like, your Indianapolis Colts fan, as I remember. Oh, huge. Yes. You go to a fan. Perry, this, pol- this, this cup <laughs> I'm drinking water out of is a Colts cup. <laughs> We have a Colts blanket that yes. we hang. There's a Colts pop figure on my TV. So yes. And there's an actual... <laughs> now, what, that being said, is that events or movies or books, they seem to bring bring people together. And mm-hmm. they seem to... What? Oh, just wanting to relate to common interests. I mean, like... It's like, uh, I mean, sporting events, like you said. You know, you go watch a football team. Like, I went to my first Colts game last year, which is really great. Um, but you know, like, there's nothing like being in a room with a couple thousand people, you know, all yelling and chanting for the same thing you are. Mm-hmm. You adore the like. I am like literally obsessed with the Indianapolis Colts. Like, I I track their free agency signings. You know, I track our starting lineup every time we play a game. You know, I'm I'm like obsessed with that team. It's like a big part of my life. And the reason I bring it up because like actually that's how we became friends is one piece. And that's good. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like. I think it's just that you, you identify with things and, and you want to share that with other people because I mean like it's it almost is a part of you in a way and if you can share that with somebody else it's like you're connecting. You're showing them a part of you. You know what I mean? And if it connects to them then you kind of in the same way. You know what I mean? You kind of feel the same way. You relate. And I mean that's probably probably why (laughs) that's one of the reasons why I love going to conventions especially like anime conventions it's just the general atmosphere of all these people that love the same things that you do and even just like walking around the vendor room and seeing various like figures and pillows and t-shirts of like certain series and characters that you just adore and there are all these other people here that you can talk to about it. You can just, like, look to somebody who's looking at the same figure as you and be like, oh, I love that show, you know, blah, blah, blah. Conventions seem to break people out of their shell as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, 
either you cosplay or you're just talking. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you go play Street Fighter, as you say. Yeah, <laughs> and, and mainly that's just people smack talking. Yeah, yeah. That's, but still that's though, it's, you, like it brings out your inner your outer shell. Just like you can adapt and talk to people. Like because I remember going to one in Ohio Con, mm-hmm. and like it was an, it was amazing because like you said like you just fit right in. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Because like common interest, common interest, and like we just had a good time. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, that was kind of how it was for me when we went to Jordan Con. Like, I didn't really, I can't really say I made a lot of friends, but that's also because it's in Atlanta, and Mm -hmm. I'm not a very social media person. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not into social media much. But if I was, I mean, I I would totally try and talk to those people. But like, I went to some panels and stuff just for the time and. Had conversations with people I never I never met in my whole life, and we had like thorough talks about like things that happened later in that series, you know, and characters' decisions and stuff. Never met them, but I mean I value that discussion. Yes. But at the same time, I feel like on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, we've kind of divulged into this area of like pop culture, like nerdiness, as people mm-hmm. like to call it, where like we're kind of treating it like people use. You like that team, man? You go to hell, you know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like that with like anime and manga and comic books. Like, like you were talking about DC and Marvel earlier. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that now. Whenever like people ask you that question, I'm like, oh, you like DC comics? It's like, get out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that's something people have to be aware of with this, like, with like con culture and stuff like that. Like, like you're saying this stuff definitely exists. Like, people connect, but there's also this like spiraling out of control like phenomenon of people just being super rude to on the internet about disagreements over fictional characters and I just feel like that stuff's got to stop you know yeah cause there's a difference between debate and criticism yeah and like if you can come to me with a debate then we'll debate it and like sure. we've had several debates or like it's actually turned into conversation like when you talk to me about Superman for this <laughs> yeah stuff. Superman I was like Perry, get the hell out of here <laughs> What are you talking about? It's Superman, though. It's true. That's <laughs> and like true. I said, I have no problem with Superman. I'm just wondering, like, if it's just the character that they're trying to put on screen that's making it, his image look bad. Yeah. No. No? I feel like the, the movie itself is making the character look bad. <laughs> like, Superman should be killing people. Maybe should Batman. Like, uh-huh. the, the body count in Man of Steel and BBS combined is higher than probably the body count for those characters in film and cartoons in all like of all all of time excluding you know, times whenever they like you know went rogue and I'm not talking films. I'm not talking about comic book about cartoons TV oh, shows okay, gotcha. all mm-hmm. that stuff well yeah for sure so well, that makes sense though uh, like I said if the Wonder Woman movie isn't good I might not watch Justice League because like I'm reading it right now and this is probably like their last chance for me <laughs> yeah I'll go, I'll be there either way just because you know, DC <laughs> fanboy number one over here. I gotta go. I gotta support the home team. But at the same yeah, time, at the same time, I'm I'm not expecting much. You know, like after BS and and Suicide Squad, like I just I'm not expecting much. You didn't like Suicide Squad? No. no. Oh wow. I didn't like it. But so, are you okay with the Harley Quinn movie? I I am I'm actually excited for the Harley Quinn movie. He is not, but there is a <laughs> comic run. Um, by Paul Dini called Gotham City Sirens and I think that's what they're starting to okay. do and I really love that run <laughs> Catwoman Harley Quinn Poison Ivy Harley Quinn I hate what the current 
writers on the book oh, have done She was to her. cool for a hot minute, and then it divulged they, into well, it's just, complete and utter silliness. They're trying to make her it's, into Deadpool. It's nothing been trying but to do that for gore years. and poop jokes. Okay. And it's just... <laughs> okay. As we switch to women talk, women characters, mm-hmm. this Ghost and Shell movie's uh, not getting good reviews. Or no, it's not. And I actually adored it. I loved it. <laughs> okay, but why is it getting bad rep? Uh, because people are claiming whitewashing on it. They're saying that, you know, Scarlett Johansson being cast as an android is whitewashing. And, you know, like, m- maybe they could Can you look up the Edge of Tomorrow run for me, please? Because, oh, like, yeah. what I'm saying is, what's the difference between Scarlett Johansson's Ghost in the Shell? That's true. And Edge of Tomorrow? That's Tomorrow. Nobody knew it was a manga. Well, I didn't even know. Did, you didn't know? <laughs> I mean, but the, that would definitely based, be. It's based on, a, it's loosely based on a manga. As it's opposed loosely? To, is it pairing, well, they're, it's the same plot. But they changed things. Like, they changed it, you know, the nationality, obviously. But, like, whereas Ghost in the Shell is literally in, you know, an Asian city with Asian characters and I feel like people take offense to that because like this is a very Japanese story so they feel like maybe they should have cast you know an unknown Asian girl to play it but the problem is when you have something like Ghost in the Shell which is massively popular in the underground anime fandom you know it's not like mainstream successful kind of popular you know what I mean like it's like popular to people like you and me like me especially I grew up watching that yes and that like that was the first time I actually watched it like anything related because it was too late when it came on TV for me to watch I mean I used to stay up when I wasn't supposed to I would go to my dad's on the weekends because you know I didn't have cable at home but when I went to my dad's he had cable and I'd stay up and watch Adult Swim and that's where I watched Ghost in the Shell Fullmetal Alchemist Cowboy Bebop all these shows that mean so much to me now Definitely Cowboy, Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop. Oh my god. I love Cowboy Bebop. I did not watch that until about a year ago. <laughs> Years ago. Oh, just, uh, I I really liked the Ghost in the Shell movie because I've seen just about everything. I mean, I haven't, I haven't read the manga, but that's because I'm not interested in the manga. Because manga. I don't care for the, uh, the guy who draws it. I don't like the art style, but I love Sienna Complex. I love the Mamoru Oshii movies. I mean, those, those two things mean more to me than almost anything. So, my genre. My problem is if the Japanese companies funded it, as you probably saw mm-hmm. when you watched the movie, mm-hmm. then obviously they did not care about Scarlett Johansson's well, there color. Were, there were videos of people walking on the streets in Japan of a Japanese guy showing a picture of Scarlett Johansson as the major to people in Japan, like saying, Americans don't like this. They don't like that they cast her, and they're like, they don't like her hair? Like, what's wrong with her? You know, why sh- do they not think she's pretty enough? And it's like, no, they don't like that she's white. Like she doesn't, she doesn't really look. No, she looks like a robot. She looks like she like like, and that's what a lot of people in that industry were saying. They're like, you know, she's not really specifically designated to look Asian. You know, Mm -hmm. like she's a robot. She's a cyborg. Like, Mm -hmm. like. And they even in the in the plot within the plot of the movie, they explain why she doesn't look Asian. Mm -hmm. Like it's. Oh, sorry. You're fine. Uh, it, it really bothers me that people won't even give it a chance, even though it, I mean, they explain it. It's, my, not, it's not whitewashing. So even my mom wants to see it. She actually asked me what it was about, and I tried to explain it to her. She said, oh, actually, that sounds kind of cool. It's it is really, cool. It's a really good <laughs> And, movie. like, I mean, I'd recommend, like, I feel like you're not going to have the proper amount of reverence for certain things that happen in that movie if yeah. you've never seen the movie or the TV show. And you might be mm-hmm. a little lost at times. Um... 
Not really. I feel like you can follow the plot. I, I've talked to people that have seen it. Oh, I followed it to it's the team. It's not a hard plot to follow by no, any means. It's not. not like you're watching Inception or something. Like the plot is easy. You haven't even seen Inception. I know a lot about it. <laughs> you should watch that. That's a really good movie. <laughs> I will someday. Maybe get out on Blu-ray. But, uh, it's because it's Christopher Nolan and he wrote the Dark Knight trilogy. I, I actually love Nolan's Interstellar movie. I think it's fantastic, mm. and I love the Dark Knight. I don't like Batman Begins, and I don't like the Dark Knight Rises, but. I can still appreciate his work outside of that, you know. Mm-hmm. I just haven't watched Interstellar. That's all. I mean, I, I love Interstellar. It's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Inception is just one of those things I haven't seen yet. But um, when they said the shell can be any color, mm-hmm. I like that because it's just the ghost in the shell. So it, I don't understand why people. She's a robot. It's just a robot, and she, well, she's a she's a human mind slash soul in a robot's body, mm-hmm. you know, and. Like, I, I personally feel like, like, because I've, like I said, I've been watching the series since I was a kid. You know, I stayed up to watch it on Adult Swim. And there are certain, there's a certain amount of reverence I have for the movies and for the, for Stanley Complex. Like, and seeing certain characters from the show, like, live action and actually interpreted well, like, it, I don't know, it did something for me that a lot of movies don't. You know, I just hit a spot where it's like, yes. Like, in the beginning of the movie, they, the scene where she becomes a robot, it's not really a spoiler, I mean, it's the whole mm-hmm. premise of the movie. She, um, she, you know, she's getting her body, and they're doing the silicon stuff, and when that's happening, they're playing this music behind, and that same music plays at the very beginning of the, of the original movie, Mamoru Oshii directed. It really did? Oh. Yeah, and it's like a, it's like a version of that, and, and when I played that, it felt, when they played it, it felt so right. It just felt, um, it felt amazingly good to me. Like, I... Just me personally, it, it hit all the cylinders it was supposed to. Like, and a lot of people were complaining that it was slow and all this other stuff. I, like, Ghost in the Shell is one of those series that like has a plot that builds. Like, it's not yeah. like bombastically action all the time. It, like, there's action in it, but is it an action show? No. Mm-hmm. It is called Ghost in the Shell. Like, if anything is, has a name like that, you should expect a plot that's going to go a little deep. Yeah, it, <laughs> like, like, it was complex, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it's getting a bad rap, but it's a great movie. And <laughs> I'm going to buy it as soon as it comes to the ring because I can't wait to watch it again. You can't wait to watch it again? Yeah. Can't, yeah, you can't. Do you have the original, you said? I, yeah, we, yeah have we, it, it. we have it on Blu-ray. Bought it recently because they, they had a sale on the on the Blu-ray. And, um, yeah, I bought it. I love that movie. It's it's so good. Everything about it is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen it a bunch of times, but I, I used to just watch fan subs of it. Um, it used to be hard to find. It used to be really hard to find. But then they did a they did a 25th anniversary version reissue and it's been a lot easier to find now and I was in Best Buy the other day I saw it and I was like well I'm buying this <laughs> yeah. so but yeah well I just wonder I just hope that it wasn't because Scarlett Johansson was rating terrible it's she just, was okay like, I mean she wasn't, Major isn't really supposed to have a whole lot of emotional range for the most part so having someone who that is not true well she does at times but her, her face isn't always expressive, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Not really. And, well, which is fitting with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. it's major, though, like you said. Um, feminist movies are coming out this year. Do you agree with that or no? You got you just had a ghost in the shell, and now you have Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure of any others, I mean, there's no others. Just those I mean, two I movies. Guess I'm not, Star Wars technically could be Star, because Star Wars. the protagonist is a female. I don't know that you have to. I mean, they're female superheroes, but I don't female, think you have to lay no, 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 Nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, um, 
is it amazing to see them finally get the right? Oh, yeah, there, it's definitely a rise in female. Even in video game, if you look at Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. Near, mm-hmm. Tomb Raider. There's Tomb Raider. Is there Tomb Raider? Tomb Raider. Just in general, just Tomb Raider. Can we release on PS4? Enjoyed it. <laughs> Enjoyed it. It's good. It's a great game. I'm just glad that they're finally getting... More representation. There's finally a representation of it. And they aren't just over-sexualized. Mm-mm, no. Yeah. Because Laura Croft is a will be always maybe be one of the favorite icons. Yeah. <laughs> They've definitely changed her look in the newer games. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything you want to ask me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of put me on the spot. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, you, you've been driving this conversation. So. I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, it's just about how these things have influenced you, and it looks like you got some good things. A will of time. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Dragon Ball was even touched as yeah, your number so that's, one. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, Dragon Ball. Let me guess. Dragon Ball is like. In its own category. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, same thing with me and Sailor Moon. Like, you asked me what my favorite manga and anime series is. I'm going to say One Piece because it's just, there's a whole other level of attachment and adoration. Yeah. Just, it doesn't count. It, it doesn't count. Dragon and, Ball doesn't count for him. And that's a great thing that some things, and when's your next show? <sighs> Not soon. Not soon? <laughs> no. Not soon. Recording next weekend. Mm. Yeah. But nobody else knows that right now. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, nobody knows that really. We haven't said anything, but it doesn't matter that people know. Yeah. So I totally include that in this yeah. podcast. If you want. I, uh, yeah, we're, I'm in a band called Chasing Pacific. I play different instruments, and I sing, and they write lyrics and all that good stuff. But we, uh, we're we going to be releasing some stuff. we got some stuff in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just going to take some time. Now, one last question. Okay. Nintendo... They dropped a Zelda machine on us with the Nintendo That's Switch. That's true, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Now, I've been geeked ever since I saw it, and I know you have too. What is it about Nintendo that makes us come back to it? Meaning, everyone that I know says, like, well, they're just using the same characters over and over. That's what, what brings people back. Um... I've played Nintendo games since I was a little kid. Uh, they've always been fantastic games, like core gameplay, and like the first Super Mario game still exists. It's still fantastic. It's still a monumental achievement in video games. Um, the same thing with, you know, its sequels, Super Mario Three. That's a fantastic video game. It's like a pinnacle of platforming. You know, uh, even to go to Super Mario World, it's one of my favorite video games that's ever been made. You know, like I talk about, but like. Bioshock is just something that had a profound impact on me. Nintendo has had multiple profound impact on me, like impacts on me for my whole life. Like, in different games. like there are periods in my life I purely think of by the Nintendo games I played during them, like Ocarina of Time. Like I remember being a kid and playing Ocarina of Time for the first time. I remember being a, a, a child and playing my SNES, you know, and playing Super Mario World on it, and just how revolutionary. I still remember the food I ate when I played that game. <laughs> I mean, I remember playing. Realizing that video games could be so much more than side-scrolling platformers, and it blowing my mind. You know, I mean, like, just all throughout my life, Nintendo has constantly been there, and it's changed so much of me, for, like perspective, and and just, I love music. 
the music in Nintendo games. Oh my god. Constantly appeals to me because like there's this mixture of nostalgia and musical appreciation that I have for not only Koji Kondo but the other musicians who have worked with you know, Shigeru Miyamoto and A.J. Aonuma and all, all of the new talent they've been bringing in. Like, there is something that is iconic and just when you hear a Nintendo song, like, you know that's that like that's on a Nintendo game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I recognize that from my youth. The same thing, like, anytime I hear the Zelda puzzle-solving noise or the chest noise when you open the chest and you get a new item, that is my childhood. You know, that's why I come back. I don't care if they come as they want. They're all different games. You can't look at any single Zelda game and say this game. Or well, the Final Five is supposedly coming oh, no, next no next year. No way. But no way. But he good. said he had a PlayStation Pro. Yeah. And he said, "Well, I don't think my PlayStation PlayStation Four is relevant anymore mm-hmm. because the PlayStation Five's coming." No way. And he said that I'll just go ahead and get the Switch. Yeah. And play Breath of the Wild. Mm, and nothing and, else for the rest of the year. Until Mario comes out. <laughs> until Mario comes out. Maybe that's next weekend. Yeah. That's Mario Kart. We're that's talking about Super oh, Mario yeah, Odyssey. Yeah. Right. That's just Odyssey. what's on my brain. I'm excited. Okay? <laughs> yeah, Mario Kart's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get it again. It's going to be great, yeah. But, Puyo Puyo Tetris. <laughs> but he, he said that he's glad that, because he did beat Zelda, mm-hmm. and then got to his PlayStation 4, right? Because he was like, I didn't want to. Smart idea. He's like, I didn't want to wait. But he said Forever. when he when he went away from it, he's like, it's probably the best game I've played in a while since The yeah. Witcher. Yeah. And he said he looks at RPGs different. Because, like, I've even admitted that, like, to Horizon, it just didn't feel fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, after Breath of the Wild? Yeah. After yeah. going back and trying to play Horizon, it just didn't feel fun. Well, it's there's a certain amount of quality, like... And the physics engine in Breath of the Wild is just so dynamic and interesting. Like, there's so many things. Like, like I started playing The Witcher again after Breath of the Wild, and, like, I kept wanting to jump off my horse, and I couldn't do it. Like, I was like, God, I need to break my mind of expecting the Zelda physics engine, and that's going to stick with me for a couple months. Like, you know? I mean, and like you said, uh, that there's no other game out right now, but I can't even go back to, like, playing an RPG besides Persona right now. Mm. Like, nothing else seems different, because, like... I am writing, as we speak, of something like deal with the Phantom Thieves in Persona. Mm-hmm. Without spoilers, it does deal with what I kind of want to write about. Oh, that's the core. That's the core of the game. Yes, people being thieves and stealing stuff. Yes, is it like that in the previous ones? No, no, no. Oh. no not really. <laughs> not at all. Kind of, kind of in a way, but not even remotely similar. Like, so this is different completely. Yeah, yeah. The, the previous game was more about like it was about changing people's hearts, but it was also about like like you know how you go into like spoilers, I guess if you care. But like <laughs> um, if you when you go into a, a palace in Persona Five and you're trying to you know steal things out of it and you got to change the heart, like in Persona Four, it was just more about like it was more dun like the palaces in Persona Five are dungeons, and there's always been dungeons in the series and. It's just variations on why you're going into this dungeon, why you're trying to get to this thing in the dungeon, and why you're trying to change this person's heart. Mm-hmm. You know, in Persona 4, a lot of the time, it was the characters you're gaining in your party. You're changing their heart. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're being attacked by, you know, some evil, you know... Shadows. Shadow, and, like, it's possessing them, and then you're helping them quell the, like, awful parts of their personality or the things that are taking hold of them and depressing them. And making their life better. Whereas in the five, it's more about you know changing people who are doing awful things. Right. And also, what he was trying to say was that 
he looks at the physics and like he actually got to hold the switch and like he enjoyed the time. He said he sees the potential in it. Yeah. And there is a lot of attention on the console that people are still weary about. Did he get rid of it? Yeah, he traded. Dude, this tra- guy is crazy. <laughs> this guy's out of his damn mind. Yeah, I know. I know for a fact that it's not an even trade at GameStop, so he has lost a bit of money. Yeah, yeah. seems like he should have just saved his money and bought, yeah. bought both of them several times. Yeah. But, like, not to throw your friend on the bus. No, he's cool. No, no, I'm sure. But, like, uh, PlayStation, I love PlayStation. Like, yes. It, it, like, PlayStation is almost as important to me as Nintendo. Like, like, like PlayStation in my adult life has shaped so much of me, whereas like Nintendo shaped so much of my youth and is still affecting me today. But like PlayStation has so many amazing titles. Like, especially like last year and this year combined, like Uncharted Four. Oh, you know yeah. the fact that you can play Last of Us on the machine. You know, like they have Spider-Man game coming out, which is amazing. Like, you know, we're both talking about how much we like Spider-Man. Like, yes. there's literally an exclusive Spider-Man <laughs> game coming out for the console. Can't wait. You know, like. And, and there's all like Horizon. It's, it's it's an open world exclusive RPG. Like that is like it's amazing. You know, it's so cool that PlayStation has something like that. So I, I love all video games. I, I I can't say I'm a big Microsoft guy, but I, I do enjoy some of their titles. <laughs> we we actually come to the conclusion that is that if you are a Nintendo friend, mm-hmm. a fan. Or friend. Or friend. <laughs> or friend. Nintendo fan. Sometimes you have to be friendly with them. Yeah. You seem to be more friendlier. Really? Yeah. I guess it's kind of the cartoony antics of the series, like, yeah. like Super Mario. Or like 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 your persona. <laughs> no, it seems to like, tells you that you can be more friendly. Because like, when I look at Breath of the Wild, I just appreciate it. Like, there's been times where I would just stop playing the game and just look at the world. And I mean, it's more <laughs> childlike and laid back than, like, some intense, like, shooter. It's just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Relaxed. I mean, like, no, like, no, like, on, you, as, like no, you as a person are more friendly. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I feel like it just comes of, like, like there's a lot of things, like, like I was saying, Mario took... Mario's very, like, especially, like, Super Mario 3 and world they're very like like when you look at them you know they remind you of like a nursery rhyme kind of like the imagery like the clouds the smiley faces on them and just the walking turtles and the goombas and just the color palette you know it's very like nursery kind of stuff and it's only expended more by like one of my probably my favorite well one of my favorite games at least on the snes uh uh yoshi's island like that game is basically a nursery rhyme <laughs> like, yeah it probably affects yeah it kind of really does stick with you you know like there's definitely music I listen to now that makes me feel happier when I listen to it, and it sounds a lot like Nintendo music. You know, no, what are you currently listening to? <sighs> Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean. <laughs> yeah. So like Jay Z, Tyler Creator. Frank I love Ocean. this song. It's great. Yeah, it's, Bicycle. It's so good. It's I'm surprised you didn't say Kendrick Lamar like everybody else. No, I like him. I like him a lot. It's just I haven't gotten into him the way I have a lot of other art, like newer artists. Like I like I love Bon Iver. I think he's so good. Everything he does is good. And like him and Frank Ocean, I've just been completely obsessed with. Like like I've listened to Bon Iver for a long, long time, but his new record, uh, Twenty Two Million, is just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And the same thing for Frank Ocean's Blonde is unbelievable. It's just from front to back. I can listen to it over and over and over again, and and I get something new out of it every time. Every and, time, and I've listened to it countless times since it came out. Like I spent ten dollars on it, I bought it because his first album had such a 
fucking impact on me. Like, yeah. I thought it was just mind-bendingly good. I was like, man, I, this should have always existed. Yes. So, yes. And then when the new one came out, you know, it just appeared. Yeah. <laughs> we were all like, whoa, all right, here it is. Yeah. And, uh, and I downloaded it. And I listened to it the first time, and I didn't get it. It didn't click with me. Like, there was a couple songs on it I really liked, but the rest of it just did not click with me. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I listened to it, it just hit me hard. And I still haven't gotten over it. I still constant like I can't even explain it to you. I've listened to it twice today. Twice today. Yes. Like <laughs> at work. Yes. Oh wow. And then at the gym, like and dude, it it is it is in the just a confounding piece of music that I can't possibly stop listening to. And yeah, it's just absolutely unbelievable. He's and, such a talented man. That's awesome. I'm glad that you support artists because like artist to artist, you know, it's awesome. Because, like, you don't, like, you see people download, and you're like, oh, really? Well, like, uh, let me be honest with you, Perry. I, <laughs> I, I steal my fair share of online material. Yeah, like, me too. Like, but I, it all depends on the material. I'm not going to, like, a movie that I'm going to watch. I'm going to go support it. I'm not going to watch it. Well, I mean, there's, like, there's avenues of creativity I'm really wanting to get into a lot right now. Um, I just started drawing again. And I used to draw a lot. I started doing it again because I want to draw comics, and I want to draw my own comics. And I've been looking in this country and in Canada and in Japan specifically to do independent comics. And one of them is this guy named Jeff Lemire, and he is an unbelievable talent. Like he draws his own stuff, he writes his own stuff. He also writes superhero comics, but he wrote this comic um, called Sweet Tooth, and he writes a comic called Descender. And he did a graphic novel called The Underwater Welder, which just got picked up to be a movie. And this dude, jeez, man. Like, just everything he does, like, I want to support him. I want to see him do well. It's the same thing with Frank Ocean. Like, Mm -hmm. when I listen to his music, it reaches a part of my psyche that is hard to explain. Mm -hmm. And I I want that that person to be successful. So, like, there, there are people I will spend my money on. Yeah, yeah, like I'm saying, like, and if you don't, then you, you're still getting the same effect. Yeah, I'm trying to anyway. That's all that matters. <laughs> you know, like, there are certain people that inspire me really heavily that I really, really want to give money to, but I can't. You know, yeah. I mean? like there's not a whole lot of ways. Like, you're not gonna give Oda a cheer of any money. I can't. can't. I mean, I gave him enough money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, got... all this stuff I got for one piece. Yeah, yeah. Like, give me a break, dude. Yeah. But I mean, like, I've been on a huge David Lynch kick, dude. David Lynch <laughs> constantly like like I'm always thinking about it like Twin Peaks Eraserhead Blue Velvet Mulholland Drive like all these movies he did stick with me stick to my ribs dude I can't stop thinking about it <laughs> hey, have you seen Eraserhead no did you, oh, did you watch that movie what is it called Eraserhead Eraserhead you, okay. you wrote that down on here for like a movie I should yeah. tell you a recommendation yeah. I was gonna give you one of each oh, go the, ahead the movie I was gonna give you is called Eraserhead Eraserhead okay yeah um, it's a black and white movie it was made in the 1970s um was made late 60s early 70s but uh, it was made by a guy named David Lynch David Lynch have you ever okay. seen a Lynch movie before probably not well enjoy it, it. <laughs> okay dude, I will it, it is fantastic like utterly just sometimes mind bendingly amazing and you might hate uncomfortable. it uncomfortable <laughs> you might hate it Sean hates a razor hat is it like H.P. Lovecraft kind no, of hate not no? really it's, okay. okay so like one of the questions you asked me on here was like something about like things 
making me a better person or something like yes, that? Yes, how does it make you a better person? Okay, so like that... So how does a racer head make you a better person? Not, <laughs> Please explain that. Not a racer head, but Uh-oh. like recently... I guess a racer head, but like the... Uh, there's this thing I've gotten into recently. I just name dropped these, these two guys. It's called. There's this area of storytelling. It's kind of like postmodern stuff called uh, magical magical realism and surrealism. <clears throat> and um, both of them, I I've just explored that kind of art. That very surrealist, very abstract, very deep, very just kind of impressionist kind of storytelling. Where it's like I'm going to tell you what's going on in my subconscious. And if you at all relate to that, then you found something extremely profound here. But if not, this makes no sense to you, and you can walk away, and it's no big deal. And that's what a racer head is. A racer head is a movie. It's it, a racer head is called basically uh, a dream of dark and terrible things. It's the subtitle for the movie, and it's about the director and writer's fear of parenthood, um, or at least that's the drawn. You know, subject. That's, what, that's what people. That's the line yeah. people draw from it. Is that's what the movie's about? But um, it's a black white movie. Like I said, it's been like, late nineteen sixties. Like black white movies. Black white movies. It's 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 incredible. But there, there's this deeply deeply dark and subconscious storytelling happening there. And like I said, it's the kind of thing like you can if you find it. And you and you can it, it speaks to you. It's going to it's going to yell at you. Like it will be screaming at you. Like like you get it. Like you'll get it. But if you don't, you're gonna be like, man, that's the dumbest movie I ever watched in my life. <laughs> okay. Like her dad thinks the razor head he's ever seen. I thought that was Blue Velvet. Both of them. Yeah. Both of them are David Lynch movies. I liked Blue Velvet. Personally, I think they're two of the most confounding and and just evocative pieces of art I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. Like, stuff like that really affects my subconscious, and I, I guess, like, exploring my own subconscious and how that affects my creativity has really helped me get to know myself better, and I guess, in a way, by association, made me into a better person. That's good, because there's always <laughs> going to be something that connects us to our subconscious, and I'm glad that that did. Now, what book do would you recommend? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a book called uh, Horrible Wonderland and the End of the World, I know you're gonna which is Murakami. which is a, a book by Haruki Murakami. Um, he's a Japanese novelist, and he also uh, experiments with a storytelling archetype called magical realism, and it is fantastic. So I would definitely recommend that book too. It'll kind of give you a window into that kind of world I'm talking about, kind of storytelling. I'll check it out. Uh, Comic book run. Okay, do you want superhero stuff or do you want independent comics? Can Let's I go one both. Yeah, go ahead. If you don't say it, I'm <laughs> go ahead. Gonna say it though. Go ahead. So, what you got? Black Monday Murders. Black Monday Murders. What by, is it? by a guy named Jonathan Hickman. He's one of my favorite creators in comics right now. Um, I showed it to her last fall. It had been going for the whole year, and she finally sat down and read it because I was like, "You got to read it," and she never did. And then, like, the tail end of last year, she's like, okay, I guess I'll read this. And then she's like, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, idiot. Told you to read it forever. Yeah, it's next week. Yeah, it's next week. Oh, yeah. It's been on hiatus. Yeah. It is is so good. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, definitely read that. You can read it digitally. Do you have a Comixology account? I can get one. So. You should get one. And, and the issues on there, I think, are four ninety nine a piece, but they're totally worth it. They're like 80 pages. Of this is not an ad, by the way. Uh, <laughs> hell, it could be. <laughs> it could be an ad. You might be working for one. I didn't know. Uh, and I guess the other, like, did you say superhero comics? Or superhero. Superhero comics. Okay. 
Hmm. Uh, I, have you read any of Scott Snyder's Batman? Scott Snyder's Batman? No. I'd recommend that. Because if you like Batman and you want a window yeah. into that character, and like, I'll go ahead and this is an excellent exclusive. The first actual DC comic book run I've ever read was the Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably okay. He actually recommended it to me, so I was like, okay. Really? I'll read it. Yeah. Yep. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, and also proud. <laughs> I would, I would definitely recommend the uh, New Fifty Two Batman run by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. It is expertly drawn. Uh, if you want a window into the character of Batman, his psyche, and what it's like to be in his head, read that run. It's Actually, someone told me that the New Fifty Two run sucks. I'm like, bullshit. For Batman? <laughs> no, just the whole New Fifty Two. Well, they are. <laughs> and they were supposedly it, a DC fan. Some of so. it does suck. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, but a lot of it is great. Some of it sucks, not a lot. Of it. Just with anything, anything <laughs> yeah. comic book related. I mean, whenever something re, whenever a comic book universe reboots, you can't expect for everything to land on its feet. Mm-hmm. You know, some things have to have time. Ideas have to flush out, mm-hmm. and that's what happened with the New Fifty Two. They just they some of the concepts they were working with just needed time, and like we're seeing right now with Rebirth, they're working everything back in. So it's just you know, it's comic books. I mean, that's just anything creative. Like if you're gonna do that. Because I remember there was one X-Men character that, like, was so powerful that they had to, like, go back in time just to kill him. Legion? Yeah. I don't think it was Legion. He's, he created, like, 16 There's, like, he, different like, universes. That like, show is amazing. The one, like, where he, uh, like, resurrects himself or... I don't know which character that was. Shoot, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I, I saw got, the... I, I, last year, I just got into the X-Men pretty heavily. Is it... Do you think... Deadpool and Logan superhero movies for you? No, not at all. Because I mean, because they're so good. No, dude, no. I I, I love campy, stupid superhero <laughs> movies. They're oh. so great. I love them so much. Like, like I I want them to make sense, and I don't want them to be literally bad. But I don't. I think you like comic books are the only medium where you can have a really complex, very deep, and interesting story like Old Man Logan, and then have you know, a very bombastic and earth and both of them be extremely successful, even though they're completely different styles of storytelling. Now, so. what is your expectations? Because we're going to switch gears real quick. What's your expectations for Star Wars this year? Can't wait. It's <laughs> fantastic. I think Luke's going to the dark side yep. easily. I mean, that's the poster says it all, dude. The lightsaber turning from blue to red, Luke being in the background Next in the red with Kylo, like it... In, in the trailer, him saying the Jedi need to end, it's all there. So, so you don't think it's like a cliche to like the old trilogy? I'm I going to the dark side. I think it's fine because I think people have unrealistic expectations of Star Wars, and I think it's ridiculous that people hold uh, stories like that, which are campy, fantasy, you know, kind of incredibly not dense stories. You know, like like Star Wars. The original Star Wars was not this dense. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Weight like, to it. It was just a campy story about a dude who finds a sword that's made of light and, you know, fights a dude that's dressed like a like solid black samurai, you know, in a costume. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's great. Well, you think it's because people invest so much time into the book series? Absolutely, it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and they have a high... Because I've never read it, so... I haven't either, and, and there's things like KOTOR and stuff like that, like Knights of the Old Republic, where there's all this continuity that people are attached to. It's just like comic books, honestly. Comic books are a silly, dumb concept, but they're fantastic, and we get attached to them because in our heads we, we create our own continuities. Like I have my head canon of Superman. You know, other people's head canon for Superman is different. Like they're still creating new canons for Superman right now. Mm-hmm. Like, like 
it's the same thing with Star Wars. Like, and like, I have to let go of a lot of stuff when it comes to superhero movies. Like, I saw X Men Apocalypse last year, right after I got into the X Men, and it was horrible. It's a bad movie. Well, the problem with that movie is they said, "Well, it's supposed to connect to Logan." And you're like, "Yeah, nothing connects whatsoever, guys." But it also <laughs> followed um, Age or not Age of Apocalypse. It followed uh, Days of Future Past, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. So good, and like. I guess I just had unrealistic expectations for them to, you know, follow up a movie that actually, you know, delivered, but they didn't. So I'm just saying, Star Wars. When I think of Star Wars, I think of the movies. I don't think of the games. I don't think of the, of the books. I don't think of the comic books. I think of the movies because they're movies. Yeah, you know, they're, they were originally movies. They are still movies. I don't care about all that headcanon stuff. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people love that stuff and. They can still love it. It's still there. It didn't go anywhere. You know? well, part of the reason people are so attached to that is because for so long there wasn't more. There was like a what, like a 25-30 year span where there wasn't new Star Wars. And that was all that they had to continue it. It was basically like fan fiction. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. I think yeah. Force Awakens is great. I feel like I feel like it's really silly for people to uh, have unrealistic expectations. Oh, I just know that it's going to be interesting to see how this follows when the back year was in technically an off-year Rogue One, mm-hmm. but it was a really great... It's, they're comparing it to Empire Strikes Back right now, and that's... Rogue One? Yeah. Absolutely. I think, <laughs> I think Rogue One is a fantastic movie. I, yeah. I think it is easily the second best Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Number one being what? Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, but I think Rogue One is just as good. Like it's right underneath that movie. In, in terms of content, in terms of storytelling and world building, yeah, the movie is right beneath Empire Strikes Back. Like anybody's <laughs> probably you? slept through the movie like Sean did. You slept through Rogue One. Yeah, I, I, we went to a late night showing, and I had worked a long shift, and I was just, "Why are you? It's not gonna." <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But it said Rogue One was good. It's just gonna be interesting with the last year. Like I didn't think of. I personally didn't think it was like him going to the dark side. Thought he was just gonna kill everybody. I didn't before the before they released the poster. But then I saw the poster and like the correlation for the original poster, where it's you know Luke holding the lightsaber and the light, and how in the background is Darth Vader. I mean, it's pretty clear in that poster that. You know, it's like the she's holding his lightsaber, Luke, and Anakin's lightsaber. That lightsaber is turning red. She's the only person standing there. And behind that lightsaber, the one that's turning red, is a red image of Luke Skywalker and a red image of Kylo Ren. So, I mean, like, I feel like it, they're probably trying to fake us out. Duke on us right at the last <laughs> minute, and they're going to be like, it's not totally what you not expected. But, like, you know, it just line seems that pretty, sp- pretty too, spelled out. You know? I think mm-hmm. it pretty much hints at it. it. Like convinced yourself that he might be going. Yeah. Oh, I mean, she she he asked, "What do you see?" And she says, "There's light and there's darkness." Is that yeah. right? And he says, "It's not as simple as that." Yeah. He says, "She says the force." Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna I be, just I feel like that's hinting at him. It's going to be interesting. Now, as we conclude this, uh, mm, she doesn't really read me. I do. It's just been a long time. I would say that none of my favorite perception movie. <laughs> Honestly. I'm reading my soul right now. Oh, it's, great. Wow. it's a great book. Oh. Well, thank you for coming on here. This has been A Word of Influence, and we'll catch you guys with episode two soon. Peace.